This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. You know, this is the place where we give you the information you need to live a healthier, happier, smart life. And uh, in in the end, you know, it is Friday as well. So relax. It's Friday night. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is right. Oh, yeah. We're going to have some fun. Show you how it's done. T-G-I-L. It's Friday. Thank heavens it's Friday. I love me some Friday. Tomorrow? Yes. Saturday. Which makes today? Friday. You know that happens every week. Mm-hmm. Okay. But today seems, this, this Friday is more, it seems special. Why? Because you're one more. The last Friday before the end yeah. of. The world? Life as we know. You're one more November surprise away from the election. Do you think it'll happen about 4 o'clock? I would bet about 4 o'clock today, the bottom will fall out of something. Nice. <laughs> and then we'll get to hammer on it all weekend and then talk about it on Monday and then we go to the polls on Tuesday. Yes. It's also, by the way, uh, no relation to the election. Use your common sense day. It just kind of works out that it's today. Today, November 4th. Use your common sense. Common sense as a concept is ancient. We've supposedly had it forever on this great earth. Speaking of October surprises, there's a couple pseudo Mm -hmm. potential stories that were trying to become that October true surprise, but we'll talk about it. Okay, good. I don't know if they're quite reaching that far. We'll see. Yes. It's also National Candy Day. The average American eats 25 pounds of candy a year. And wow. it doesn't all come from the Willy Wonka factory. No, it does not. There is a portion, though. The uh, That whole Willy Wonka, it, it kind of gives me the willies. Mm-hmm. Well, creepy. That's where I think the word willy came from. Willy's Wonka. Wasn't there an exploding kid in the first one? Um, he had like a blueberry candy and then oh, he like floated that's away. Oh, that's Violet Beauregard. Okay. Yeah. Did she explode? Uh, they juiced her before that could happen. I hate oh, that's being right. juiced. That's yeah. right. Okay. So didn't this? Didn't her. the opening credits of this movie always make you salivate? Just the video of chocolate pouring and yes, yes, it did. Looks like that mm. Nutella bath we talked about the uh, other day. <laughs> except that didn't look as good. That did not look one hairy guy. You're like wow, lots of giants. It's a grown man in a bathtub. Okay. Uh, hey, what would it take to get you to cheat for your boss? Mm. A cronut. <laughs> it's a pretty I, low price. I actually was uh, in a uh, union disciplinary hearing situation. Really? Were you and being disciplined? To, or no. Were you I was on the management side. One of my employees was with his union rep, and there was some uh, disagreement on if he had called in on a certain day. Mm. But there was like a whole list of other things that were done, but the linchpin was this one incident. Interesting. And I was – I forgot a key detail until they started talking about it and I went, oh, right. So in that situation, do I <laughs> keep it quiet and stay on the side of my uh, management, you know, yeah. side of the table? Or do I tell the truth, which would get him off, and then erase all the other things he did? 
What do you do? You tell the truth? You you always tell the truth. That's what I did. And then afterwards, they tried to corner me on it. And I said, so you want me to lie? You You want me to lie? Management of this company is asking me to lie. And they go, no, we will never ask you to lie. And I go, okay, so then you want me to remember a specific detail from six months ago? We want you to forget that detail and keep it forgotten. (laughs) It was really funny. So Wells Fargo Wagon... uh, Wells Fargo Wagon, Wells Fargo Bank ended up um, having to roughly – they fired 5,300 employees for faking 2 million accounts. And they did it. They basically were lying because of incredible pressure from the company. Yes. So we'll talk about uh, the pressure that and, – and then how the pressure impacts your ethics and your choices. So – Stick with us because this might be eye-opening. I think, you know, if anybody's under enough pressure, you might be willing to do anything. If your job's on the line, if that's your you livelihood, care your, family. your family, what do you do? We'll get to all that fun as well, plus uh, a little uh, update. We'll talk a little bit about Melania's speech yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a subtle jab toward her husband. And a very confused Anderson Cooper who was questioning a uh, Trump spokesperson about Who's Melania talking about here? What's going on? Yeah, who who exactly? We'll get to all that fun, but first let's do the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? The White House and the Department of Homeland Security are reportedly working in conjunction with the CIA, the National Security Agency, and other elements of the Defense Department to ensure combat of any potential cyber attacks that could threaten the United States on Election Day. U.S. officials claim that they, while they are prepared for the worst, potentially parts of the Internet being shut down, what they believe is more likely that is that hackers could peddle fake and or misleading information in the advance of people voting. The latest Wall Street Journal NBC News polls released Thursday revealed that while Hillary Clinton has fallen far behind Donald Trump in Texas and Arizona, she might still have a shot at winning Georgia, a state no Democrat has won since 1992. Trump and Clinton are virtually tied in the peach state with Trump at 45 percent support among likely voters and Clinton at 44 percent. On average, Real Clear Politics shows Trump 11.4 points ahead in Texas and four points ahead in Arizona. According to a survey of likely Hispanic voters in Florida, Hillary Clinton leads Donald Trump 60% to 30% among the voting bloc. Voter, voter of Puerto Rican descent favor her 71 to 19, with Cuban-American voters often who often lean towards Republican candidates. Trump only leads 49 to 42. Hispanics account for almost 16% of Florida's 12.9 million active registered voters, and so far around 14% of the early ballots have been his been from Hispanic voters, which is much larger than their share around this time in 2012. And finally, yes. uh, in your Donald Trump news, since we are, nearing, we are nearing the end, yes. an Italian land oh, no. artist... It's just the beginning. Go on. <clears throat> ...created a six-acre portrait of the U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump using a tractor and a cornfield. <laughs> Um, he is very famed for his cornfield portraits of subjects including President Barack Obama, Pope Francis, and even an Ebola virus. Not mm. sure how you draw that, mm. but he drew it. He used a tractor to etch, etch Trump's likeness in a f- corn a field among with the wow. Republican's name and the word chow. Um, <laughs> he also said his land art portraits usually disappear on their own in five or six days. I am an artist painter who's been creating land art for 10 years, creating a series of famous people like Obama and the Pope, he wrote. No land is ruined my art with my art and I work with my imagination. 
And a tractor. And a tractor. Um, that's interesting. Land art. And so, because the corn fields, I, don't they eventually just like turn brown and and so his, his flowing die. blondish locks become just not a bunch so, of corn stalks. Not so great, yeah. How beautiful. It is Land art. Thing. It reminds me of the movie, I think it's called, is it Signs? Yes. The one where they, the aliens create signs in the cornfields. Oh, boy. I think Donald Trump's face is a little more scary than what the aliens oh, are doing. Oh, there it now. is right there. Yeah, that looks like Donald. Yeah. Do you know what the messages in that movie Signs say? What? Trump 2016. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. When did this it's, movie come out? It's a subtext. It was like... Uh, it was a while ago. It was a couple yeah. years ago. So, but they were oh, anticipating the early, 2016. Early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. So they knew that Trump was running. Yep. Well, Sadie, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Donald Trump, he's, he's, he's not the only Trump making the news. No. Melania Trump it was yesterday. was a shocking development. Apparently in an interview a week ago, he said, Melania's going to be out speaking for me. And she went, whoa, excuse me? What? Don't make me do it. And here she is in Pennsylvania. I and but and her they say I didn't get to listen to the, the entire thing, but they said it was a wonderful message. Yeah. Don't bully kids. Are the world is too rough? No one can disagree. It's too mean. It's Every, too tough. It's it's the type of message you would love, Matt. It's something everyone agrees with. Excellent. Constantly. Our culture has gotten too mean and too rough, especially to children and teenagers. We have to find a better way to talk to each other, to disagree with each other, to respect each other. We must find better ways to honor and support the basic goodness of our children, especially in social media. Mm. It will be one of the main focuses of my work if I'm privileged enough to become your first lady. There you go. Does anyone find the irony in this? With her being Donald Trump's wife? Um, no, she no was, one, no one has even kids. talked about she that. She was talking about kids. Oh, kids being mean yeah. and yeah. saying mean Specifically things. Specifically okay. kids. And now, and now everybody is jumping on the irony you know, train because many are saying Donald was the biggest bully of them all. Um, if you remember uh, Carly Fiorina, yeah. look at her face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or Ted Cruz's wife. Or his father, the JFK stuff. Yeah. Well, his father did murder JFK. Uh, yeah. According to Donald Trump. Um, so when you think about all that craziness, she can still have a great message. It's yeah. a good message. Sure. I mean, no one's going to disagree with any of that. And that would be a great platform for a first lady. Yeah. Because this is a problem. But see, again, some would say. When it's, demonstrated by her husband, it just seems like once again, it would be as if Hillary Clinton as first lady was talking about the proper treatment of women. Yeah. And yet her husband had issues with women. Absolutely. It's a, it's the irony of this political year. All who live in glass houses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So be, so why did. If they're doing that, then and you got Michelle Obama talking about eating better. Was that a jab at her husband? Yes. Okay. I said, are, are they got all... an eating disorder? And then, and then, what was it? Uh, George W. Bush's wife was about reading. reading. Huh? So was Bush just not reading enough books? Is Never that... read. Never read. So a book. Laura, Laura Bush's platform was a jab at her husband. They, they're all. And then jabs. Ronald Reagan. It was you know uh, Nancy was Reagan drugs. was just say no. So yeah. what was? Mm-hmm. What are you saying? We'll say no more. Okay. It seems obvious. He was a yes man. Wow, this is crazy. 
It, it, I, I'm uh, looking at this as a Ford, whole new way now. Ford's wife uh-huh. was um, about alcoholism, wasn't she? Like stopping yeah, the, the Betty Ford clinics. Yeah. So, oh, wow. don't go. Don't go there. Wow. I'm, I'm just telling do you. It. This all of a sudden went dark. We're we're putting gardens in the backyard of the White House, and now we're yeah. rehab clinics. Exactly. You might want to check what's in those gardens. So Anderson Cooper on CNN had yeah. Kellyanne Conway, sp- a spokesperson for uh, Trump, on to ask about the specific issue of Melania is talking about cyberbullying. Donald Trump could be contribute considered a cyberbully. Even today, the reaction from a number number of people, mostly her critics, is that uh, her husband is part of the problem. We all know he's made fun of people's looks, of people's intelligence. If it's not okay for kids to do this, why is it okay for adults, for Donald Trump? Well, it's really not okay for anyone to do it with with malicious intent, but... The question is, doesn't this start at home? I mean, isn't the problem at her own dinner table? It does, no, it's not at her own dinner table. The fact that her husband's running for president and defends himself sometimes or speaks things out. You, you know, again, we're always, we constantly, when it comes to Donald Trump, cherry picking certain tweets or certain things that he said and not looking at the, go look at his entire Twitter feed. Go look at the crowds at his rallies. Go look at his message. Go see what he's saying. I know, it's go full t- of this stuff, though. How he's, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's full of a lot of things. It's a good point. It's full of it. Well, yeah, sure. It's full of a lot of it. It's full of a lot of stuff. <laughs> She's pretty good. She She's really very good. She's a good deflector. I think she should have run for president. Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas, tweeted out, Trump may be a car wreck, but at least his car is pointed in the right direction. Hillary is a drunk driver going the wrong way on the freeway. Okay. So she might. she may be driving a <laughs> Tesla... She's going in the wrong direction. Trump might be driving a beat up old Pinto. Yeah, but but it's facing the right direction after it got hit. It's chugging. It's struggling he's a along. Wreck. He's a car wreck. I don't know if that's an endorsement of anybody. No. I think we just all the metaphors don't work. I, Melania Trump's message is great. We need to end bullying, yeah. and Donald Trump's a bully. They can they can go together. They can go together. It can go together. I mean, that's and Bill Clinton had issues with women and Hillary can be very pro women. Right. We had a let's get this thing over with. We had to <laughs> compile the list of people that you said, "Oh, this person should have run for president" because I think <laughs> I think it's turning out that anyone would be a good choice but Donald. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's some uh possible Friday afternoon, October surprises. Okay, here we go. The list. U.S. officials told CBS News on Thursday that the FBI has found emails related to Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State on the laptop and that they are not duplicates of the ones found in Clinton's server. So so emails that have not been found previously that are related to the State Department. Yes. Aberdeen also had an email account, which was not previously known on the server. Right? So she was in there also at this point however it remains to be seen whether these emails are significant to the fbi's investigation into clinton well they are significant simply because they weren't turned over they were hidden and they're not duplicates and it's not known how many relevant emails there are the big question is whether Mm. any of the new emails are from clinton or contain classified information all they are emails Okay, that could that, so that's a possibility. That could be a pretty interesting little deal. Apparently, Fox News yesterday was running with a idea of a likely indictment coming out before the election. Yeah, that was shot down by pretty much every other news. But that was all. Was that was that from the Wall Street Journal report? Uh, la, 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 la. It says anchor Brett Baer admitted on Thursday that he overstepped on Wednesday night when he said that an indictment was yeah. likely. 
Yeah, you, you can't be talking indictments yet. No, but There's Fox not is sticking with the rest of its reporting about an avalanche of evidence in the case. Now that I could believe. Relying on anonymous sources, ABC, NBC, and other news organizations have knocked down the Fox talk of a likely indictment. So uh, that was on Thursday evening. Clinton Press Secretary Brian Fallon said the FBI should make a statement to put a stop to these baseless Fox News reports. Okay, how about at 4 o'clock today we'll make a statement (laughs) and we will download a a slew of data. Remember, Uma Abedin was working for Clinton Foundation and simultaneously the State Department. She was the go-between trying to filter things out. Now, wouldn't that make sense during that time that you might have another computer? That's not a State Department computer that might be just your other computer that you would transact your other business on. But there's also this other non-substantiated thought that maybe she had a folder of insurance for herself with some damning evidence. You know, <laughs> So in case something came back on her, she had something to get herself out of jail free. This is crazy. So that yeah. guy who said that there was an indictment coming, he may have uh, jumped the gun. That was and, just, and that, counted, no, yeah, his, that, counted his chickens before he cliche had. Cliche day was yesterday. Was just, we're done doing So we cliche. can't do that anymore. Oh, today. that was yesterday. Yeah. yeah okay. no, we're, we're done yeah. with that. Did, did you not get the memo? Though. Good try, though. <laughs> we're not doing any cliches today. We honestly. I, I did 681 cliches yesterday. Can't do any more. All right. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, though, we will be talking about what are you willing to do for your boss? What are you willing to say? Are you willing to cheat? Situationally, could we put you in a condition where you might change your ethics and your behavior? Stick with us, folks. Boy, got some crazy stories from corporate America where it's been happening, even to the point of fraud. Stick with us. We'll be right back. The CEO of the third largest bank in the U.S. stepped down this past month in the wake of fraud and scandal charges. Here to talk with us about how Wells Fargo encouraged employees to commit fraud by providing the opportunity and pressure to do it is Professor Elizabeth Tippett. She is a, she researches behavioral ethics, employment law, and decision-making and is an assistant professor at the University of Oregon School of Law and Conflict and Dispute Resolutions Master's Program Faculty Director. Elizabeth Tippett, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. What on earth is going on at Wells Fargo? Uh, uh, Now CEO stepping down, apparently 5,300 employees fired, 2 million fake accounts created, what what were the employees doing, and why were they committing fraud? Well, the short version of the story is that the individual employees uh, who were responsible for selling accounts to customers were paid based on the number of accounts they could open on behalf of customers. And from what we can tell, at least from what lawsuits allege, the supervisors seem to have also been evaluated and held accountable for the number of accounts that their subordinates opened. And then we have also learned recently that people were promoted up the chain in Wells Fargo based on how many accounts were open of the people below them. Mm. So what you had was this sort of tournament of cheaters where the people who were most successful at cheating rose to the top 
And the people who were most successful being honest, at least as some lawsuits allege, were actually fired um, for complaining or just didn't make their performance metrics and, you know, left the company or were terminated for performance reasons. But they're creating fake accounts, right? Right. So it seems like a fake account wouldn't generate any money, any revenue. Right. So one of the things we understand from what um, government agencies have told us is that one of the things Wells Fargo employees were doing was they would move money from an existing account to the new fake account on behalf of the customer without the customer's knowledge to make it look like the customer was using it. Mm. But the problem for customers then is that then they might be subject to an overdraft fee because there's less money in their original account than they thought. And so that's one of the ways in which consumers were really harmed by these practices. Holy cow. And uh, do I, I guess if the CEO goes down, uh, did the CEO know what was going on? Or is it just kind of, you know, someone's got someone's to take the hit for this? Well, I think it's yet to be seen what the CEO knew or didn't know. From what he told Congress, it sounded like the board, and he was part of the board, was getting some reports as early as 2011, but we don't have the full details yet about what he knew and didn't know. Hmm. I mean, this is this is right up your alley then, right? So this is, this is about as bad as it can get, I, I guess, when it comes to behavioral ethics, employment laws, decision-making. So many things were going wrong here. I guess it's just the pressure to create revenue at at all costs. I think there's also a social factor that is easy to overlook in this case. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, and this is what the research tells us, we're really influenced by the behavior of people around us. So if people around us are littering, we're more likely to litter, especially if there's already a lot of litter in the park. Or if we see someone who's on our team who's already cheating, this is what research shows, we're more likely to cheat on a test, too. Mm. And the research, the theory, according to the research, is that people cheat in really small increments right up to the point at which they start feeling like a bad person. And so they don't cross the line so long as they can still feel like they're a good person when they're doing it. So, for example, Dan Ariely did this small study with his graduate students, one of whom was blind and one of whom could see, and he sent them out on cab rides. Well, it turns out the cab drivers uh, charged less to the person who, who was blind than the person who could see because no cab driver could cheat a, a blind person without feeling bad. Hmm. Um, so, so much of our cheating is about how much can we get away with before our conscience kicks in. How interesting is that? And if everyone around you at work is, you know, signing up new accounts and you go talk to your buddy, how are you signing up so many new accounts? I'm just making them up. I'm just taking them out of the phone book. Um, I guess you're okay doing it. They're okay doing it until you really know you're starting to, to break your own moral code, I guess. I think part of what happened at Wells Fargo is I think the employees felt like the um, – sales commission system was unfair because it was too aggressive and there was no realistic way that they could meet the sales goals. And I think they told themselves that what they were doing wasn't harming customers, that they were just getting back at Wells Fargo for this unfair 
sales compensation system. Mm. And they also developed um, a set of euphemisms for what they were doing. So they had this whole vocabulary, at least according to one lawsuit, about gaming, sandbagging, building, pinning. These were the words they used to try and pretend as if what they were doing was a video game. And it's possible that, you know, they were opening these accounts through electronic interfaces, and it really felt like they were doing it through the software and some of these employees, you know, they would maybe never meet the person who they were affecting. They would never meet this customer. Mm. And they would, tell their, they would tell themselves, you know, this is an empty account. Nothing bad will happen. It's, it's really unfortunate that it's easy for us to rationalize a lot of the bad choices we make. Mm. I mean, I guess that's true, too. If, if I'm not, like, uh, seeing the person day in, day out, if I'm not seeing the negative repercussions my conscience might be less likely to be pricked by this whole thing. Yes, I think the real ethical dilemma that we face today is that we end up having to upset the people right in front of us to um, help people we are not in front of right now and Mm. may never meet. So if you think of other big frauds that we've seen, for example, the VW situation where they were... um, lying, they they inserted technology into their cars that basically deceived testers about their admissions. You know, that was a couple of engineers who wrote some computer code uh, to save their company from having a a car that wouldn't meet emissions standards. Uh, And then that one bad choice was replicated to all these customers that they would never meet uh, to help, you know, their company and the people they worked with. Mm. Does the research bear that out, that that, uh, it's 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 easier to fraud someone you don't know? Well, so the research um, suggests that when we use, when we are distanced from the effects of our action, we're more likely to do it. So, hmm. for example, we're more likely to cheat uh, using tokens than with real money because money triggers our conscience, but tokens, other forms of, of currency, don't. And so you can imagine how clicking something on a computer screen feels really different from mm-hmm. um, taking money from someone or, or taking a, a pen from the office. That feels different from, you know, taking money out of the petty cash. Like the Stanford test almost where they were electrocuting that guy. It was just pushing a button, you know, yeah. just pushing a button. I'm not even, I mean, sure he screams, but I'm not seeing it happen. I'm not right in front of the person. That's interesting. And that actually makes sense, too, when we think about parenting. If we're not careful, we could actually, we could intercede or blunt the actual impact of what our children are doing. Like when we talk about bullying, I could overprotect my own kid uh, from, you know, getting in trouble at school so that my child doesn't even feel repercussions for what they're doing. Uh, We need this feedback loop, it seems like, of of dealing with humans kind of face-to-face. I think you're so right about that. And I think it's actually really hard to call someone out on unethical behavior. Um, We're maybe used to, I think our culture now is, when we see something wrong, we say, oh, that was awkward, and we walk away, and we don't say anything. Mm -hmm. When we are doing a service to someone by saying, hold on, I, I don't like where this is going. Let's talk about this. Um, you know, you just did something I'm not okay with. We need to, can, can we talk about this? That's really hard. And mm. as, as, we, as more of our social lives moves um, onto electronic communications, I think we're not as, as good at that as we used to be. 
And I guess it's even harder to call out, you know, morally your boss than it is your peer, than it is your subordinate. I think that's right. I mean, if you if you have to go tell your boss that this is an unfair, you know, commission model that's that's really only, you know, creating conditions where people are going to cheat and they look at you like, now, who are you now? You want to work here, right? I mean, all of a sudden, a lot, especially because the one that's cheating next to you and is okay with it. I guess that's the other thing is everyone's moral code is so different. But if if the one person that has the lowest level of morality is the one that's you know getting promoted and creating all the systems, then then we're, we a lot of us might end up just following his lead or her lead. Right. So I think the important thing in situations like this is not to be a bystander, mm. and to be willing to be wrong, to be willing to perhaps perhaps be embarrassed, um, and to be willing to disagree. Um, because you you want to safeguard yourself and the person next to you from doing something you'll regret. No, that's great advice, isn't it? And and I guess too part of this is in fact let's do this. Let's take a break and come back, Elizabeth. I'd love to know how we how we do that. How we shore up our own moral code enough that we can be willing to say no. Fifty three hundred employees were fired because of this. Think of. How many lives have been impacted? I mean, these are people, too, that ended up learning, you know, gaining income and being promoted and having probably good good financial benefits because of immoral or unethical behavior. So powerful lesson, I think, to all of us. We'll come back more with Elizabeth Tippett and uh, the work she's doing on ethics. And, uh, boy, the tough decisions we got to make at work sometimes. Stick with us. It's the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Professor Elizabeth Tippett. She is an assistant professor at the University of Oregon School of Law and Conflict. And she also, uh, I think, uh, is a faculty co-director of the Dispute Resolution Master's Program um, there at the same uh, school. Liz, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. And thanks for uh, teaching us about Ethics, because it's so subtle. Here, here, these employees are sitting there, and, and it could simply be you go in with never having the intent to deceive, to be unethical. You're just trying to do your job, but then pressure, um, systems that are set up, just the very method that they did commissions, and then you know a couple of dishonest people could create a, an avalanche. Absolutely. So I also want to say that companies bear some responsibility for this. You Certainly bet. we are responsible ourselves, but you as a company need to consider what are the situational cues that you're presenting to your employees that's making it easier for them to cheat. Are you letting a culture of cheating predominate? Are you promoting the people who are cheating? There's also something called internal controls, and internal controls are the idea that you have 
processes in place that could detect and stop and prevent cheating from happening. So if you have somebody who's responsible for monitoring for cheating, that person also shouldn't have an incentive to cheat. Hmm. That's why, for example, in accounting systems, the person who is responsible for dealing with your travel reimbursement is not the same person who pays out the travel reimbursement. So, so setting up systems that makes it harder for people to cheat so there are fewer opportunities to do it. Well, it also seems like just an accounting practice, you would have noticed the money going very consistently from one department to another or from one area to another area. You'd think just watching the money, you would notice certain things happening. That's right. One of the things Wells Fargo admits is that when it received complaints from employees, it treated each complaint as an isolated incident instead of looking for patterns of misconduct. I think they were also not focused on finding new types of misconduct that they hadn't thought about before. If you were a bank five years ago, you were probably really worried about mortgage fraud, and so you weren't thinking as much about fraud on the retail banking side. Hmm. So you need to have people who are your investigators who do a really good job of recognizing patterns, who have an experience for trying to figure out what might be a sign of something really bad. So one of the analogies I like to use is those guys from that history show, American Pickers. Yeah, yeah. They're so good at going into a big, you know, pile of information and looking through it and trying, figuring out, well, which is the stuff we usually see, which is run of the mill, which might be something really important that we need to follow up on. They talk to the person and get their point of view and their history, but they also make their own independent judgments. Hmm. That's the kind of skill that's really valuable for someone who's serving an investigative role in a company like Wells Fargo. Hmm. I mean, there really there must have been dozens of failures here, right? Because it 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 also where was HR? There had to have been complaints from the employees that weren't liking this. I'm sure many of them were fired. There was so you were talking about accounting examples. There had to have been customer service complaints. There had to, I mean, almost every department probably would have had some ill effect of this, but I guess you're saying they were all just viewed as isolated incidents, so they weren't ever compiled as a problem. That's right. I, I, I don't have inside info on their system for dealing with customers, but you could imagine any time that you've ever complained to a company, it's really easy for your complaint to end up in phone tree purgatory. Right. <laughs> and it's possible that's what happened to some of these customer complaints, although I should note that I don't have any special right. insight into that. But you, like you're saying, though, the, every organization has a responsibility for this. Wells Fargo does as well. And is this is the story kind of being buried be, by the election and all the other chaos going on right now? Because it doesn't seem like it's getting a lot of airtime. I think the Wells Fargo problem continues to simmer as each government agency opens its own investigation into what they were doing. Oh, that's going to get ugly. I mean, when you have 5,300 people fired for this process of cheating, um, it's just the beginning. Yes. You would think that back in 2011, when they fired 1,000 people, they would have realized this is a very, very, very large problem if we had to fire a thousand people. So, so much of a company's role in this situation is is figuring out the problem before it's it's immense. I mean, mm-hmm. that, firing a thousand people is immense. You would have hoped that they might have even stopped it earlier. 
some whistleblowers said they came forward as early as 2005, 2006. So this might be the sort of situation that just slowly escalated over time and was never stopped. Is some of this just the pressure, I guess, is is it just mirroring the pressure that is on the C-suites of um, – to produce numbers. You got to get numbers. It's all about results. Get them at any cost. Yeah. Here's actually something you might not expect. Companies that are doing well financially are more vulnerable to fraud. Um, So the National Business Ethics Survey saw a decline in unethical conduct during the recession. But for companies that uh, bounced back from the recession earlier, those companies saw a bigger uptick in fraud. So it may be that Wells Fargo was more vulnerable than other banks and other companies because it weathered the recession a mm. little bit better than everyone else. That's true, huh? And and it also, though, we didn't we have all of this legislation where we started tightening down on banks and they're they're and, and eliminating certain ways that they could make revenue. Right, and and well, so banking properly construed should be a boring industry, right? Where they don't make a lot of profits, they're just doing their local things, servicing customers. But if you're a publicly traded company and you're chasing profits, it's hard to get those big profits unless you're doing something extraordinary, like taking a lot of risks or opening a ton of accounts and charging a lot of fees. Mm. How do you how do you come out of this? I mean, how do people go back and say, yeah, I feel good with Wells Fargo again? I mean, it just seems like it's a PR nightmare. And it's also, it's I don't know how you rebuild trust I guess it just takes time. I think the message that all of us need to take from this, if you find yourself in a situation like this, is to step outside of the immediate situation and step outside of the question of, is a customer harmed by by a company, by a bank account with no money or not? And think, what would it mean if this came out? What would this mean for our customers? Set aside the whatever dollars of liability you have in the courts. What does this mean for our brand? For so many companies nowadays, so much of their value as a company is their brand. And so the Wells Fargo situation is an example of a brand evaporating Mm. nearly overnight. And I think that's the message that people need to remember when they're trying to think about what to do in these ethical situations. And if you're an organizational leader, it seems like you've got to have an ombudsman or somebody in there that you could – that ever that anybody could talk to at any time and have a real and have a place to 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 call out a cheater safely. Yes, I mean, there's got to be you. some way to do that, or 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 you're just going to drive it all underground. Yes, I think process is key, but also to give that ombudsman or whoever's doing the investigations and receiving them, giving that person enough power to actually fix the situation mm. and remedy it. Yeah, you could see. I, I could totally see corporate America creating an ombudsman role. Uh, hiring a really nice, you know, ex-professor from University of Oregon, and then um, all of a sudden, never. They, but they have no organizational power. They just sit there and shake their head and and help people feel good. I think we need to rethink how we think about whistleblowers and this type of information. I think right now companies tend to think of that information as a cost center that they sort of hold their nose and pay it. But if you think about it, your employees that are blowing the whistle are your most valuable asset. And you need to treat their information that way because they're the last barrier between you and the loss of your brand. And so invest in those people and give them the credibility and the platform they need to fix the problem. That's actually the best investment you can make in your company. Mm. 
Totally. What do you advise, just as we wrap up, what advice do you give your students or uh, us about what do I do if I see cheating going on in my department or if I see something that's not legit and, um, you know, but I also have a family. I don't want to rock the boat. How do I get enough fortitude to to do what's right? I think – the most important thing is not to set your metric for morality on the conduct of the people you see immediately around them. I think you have to focus on your own internal compass for what is right and what you would feel proud to tell your children about what you did and to step outside of your immediate situation and think about what that is and decide to make your own independent judgment. Even if your own independent judgment is to say nothing, at least you've stopped for a moment to think about the decision you want to make rather than making a decision without thinking, which is unfortunately what a lot of us do. So true. I mean, you don't want to just go down the river because everyone's going down the river. You're saying stop, think, make a decision. If you're going to go down the river, make it a choice, overt, intentional. I think as children, we learn that, and our parents try and teach us that, and then we forget it as we get older. Yeah. And then the conditions are created where, you know, I got to pay the bills. And it's just once. I'll just do it once. I mean, everybody's doing it. Mm. That's right. Crazy stuff. Elizabeth Tippett, thank you so much for your, uh, your great insight. And keep writing for conversation.com. It's a, go check out that website, theconversation.com. What a wonderful resource for deeper cuts. Um, and they're, they're academic. They're from professors like uh, Liz Tippett. And they take you to a completely different level of understanding some of the hottest issues that we're dealing with today. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. Plus, uh, also coming up, wrapping the news. It's back. 290 plus uh you know, friends of ours are going to wrap the a review of the weekly news. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with this whole election thing, many people are saying they're just going to leave. If this, if Trump wins, certain people are going to leave. If Clinton wins, they're just leaving the country. There's an, I, there's an island near Nova Scotia, I believe, that has yeah. a whole advertising campaign because their their population <laughs> is falling. They're like, come up, come over here. It's a wonderful place. You know, we're Trump free. That kind of thing. I just saw a real estate agent sign that says, you know, if you're planning on moving, and it has Hillary and, and uh, Trump's face on a billboard. Give us a call. We can help sell your house. I-15 heading south. If you're heading Draper. to Canada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So A lot of this is just hot air because people don't make that kind of a life decision based on things. But this is interesting. Perhaps it's just a coincidence, but in the past year, searches for jobs in Canada on the website monster.com have jumped 58%. Money Magazine reported Wednesday that per Monster, keyword searches on a job search engine involving the word Canada have gone from 19,000 to in 2015 to over 30,000 through October 2016. Wow. So they've almost doubled. People, they just, they got to get out of here. Engineers seem to be the uh, particularly interested in the prospect of migrating north, opening for civil engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers, and chemical engineers in Canada garnered the most searches, though IT workers were also checking out jobs in Canada. 
Mercy. So what do you think? Is that just a coincidence or is that because of the election? Coincidence. Okay. If it wasn't for the metric system, I'd, I'd go. Yeah. I. If you can't even measure, you know, your your papers or your yard or whatever, yeah, it's going to be a really long life up there. Um, well, it complicates things. If you go to measure and you just can't use your foot. I know. It's all one foot. Yeah. It, and, yeah. It's sad. I love Canada. Incredible place. Beautiful place. Victoria. Mm. Yeah. Again, it's kind of suspect that they have amassed their entire population right across the border. Without even – that's we don't even have a border wall. Right. It's very aggressive by the Canadians. <laughs> Just saying. Crazy. Hey, as we uh, wrap up this first hour, uh, on Fridays we like to do a, a news wrap. Where we wrap up the entire week, and well, we, th- we don't do we it. don't do it. We thought we thought it would be fun if we had some of our more seasoned, you know, f- uh, correspondents. Yeah. Correspondents. So we've asked uh, two people, Edsel and Agatha Dinwoody. They're they're seasoned, they're aging, mm. but they also try to stay hip by uh, wrapping the news. I ain't ready for this. Yo, November 2016. Yo. Just a handful of days before we finish this crummy election. Good grief. Yeah. Next Wednesday, you can start thinking about 2020. That might bring some relief. Yo. The season's first college football playoff rankings have Alabama at number one. Feels like a kick in the pants. They should be an NFL expansion team in order to give other teams a chance. The NFL's ratings are still down. For TV execs, these are nervous days. Maybe they should let fans use social media to call in the plays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Scientists say they found the first fossilized dinosaur brain, and it looks like a common rock to me. I wonder if some jokester's having a laugh because people are taking it so seriously. Word. Ladies and gentlemen. For the first time last quarter, more than a billion people checked Facebook only on their mobile device. Now, if they put down their phones while they're driving, that would sure be nice. Woo! Yo, peace. Pull over. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy Friday to you. Boy, oh boy, you made it another week. Woohoo! And only a few more days until the big election. So you can enjoy this weekend. Uh, I'm sure there will be some chaotic news drop about 4 o'clock today. Ride that wave, and by Tuesday of next week, boy, you can just kick back, enjoy your new president. Life will be good. Elect. Yeah, president-elect. There you go. Uh, Welcome to the program. We've got, uh, I think, a a very interesting guest. If if you were an astrophysicist... Why, I am. What what do you think goes through an astrophysicist's mind thought process as he's fishing? 
What? Did I leave the oven on? <laughs> Wonder where I left my keys. Like, here's a guy that How knows insignificant an act of I'm participating in at the moment. But so why would he participate in fishing? Because it's maybe relaxing. He for travels him. the world, and as he travels the world, he fishes everywhere he goes. Did Doctor Strange get a ninety or a ninety-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes? See, that's what he—that's what he's thinking about. I don't think it is. We will find out um, with our guest Marcelo Gleiser will be joining us. He's the author of the book "The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected: A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Everything." Trump? Did you say Trump? Uh, I said trout. Oh, okay, yeah. It's different, different than Trump. Um, we'll be talking with him today. Interesting, I think, discussion ahead. And, um, of course, other news, other headlines, updates as well, plus how to save time. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, will be uh, doing a little tangent about time saving. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen in the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Harvard University suspended its Division I men's soccer team for the remainder of the season after a list was discovered in which female players were assessed on their physical appearance in vulgar terms. The the team is ranked first in Ivy League and will forfeit the final two games of the season and not be able to participate in postseason games. In her first speech since the Republican National Convention, Melania Trump railed against cyberbullying and lamented a culture that has become too mean. Technology has changed our universe, but like anything, it can have a bad side, she said during a rally in Pennsylvania. She then declared, our culture has gotten too mean and too rough. We have to find a better way to talk to each other, to disagree with each other, and to respect each other. More than half of new power capacity added worldwide last year came from renewable energy sources like wind and solar power, beating fossil fuels like coal and natural gas for the first time ever, according to a new report from the International Energy Agency. Renewables now represent 23% of global power generation and are projected to grow to 28% by 2021. And finally... I have uh, news about pigs in a blanket, but not in a blanket. The food? Or actual pigs? Actual pigs. Ah. Wouldn't you say a hot dog is a piece of a once actual pig? Yes. So wouldn't it be this? Go on. Sorry. Thank you, Terry. A traffic stop in China led to an unusual discovery. 20 pigs crammed in the cargo section of a driver's SUV. What? Oh, boy. Body camera footage from the Sunday traffic stop shows the SUV pulled over to the side of the road in China. The vehicle's two human occupants opened the rear hatch of the SUV to show show the officers its contents. 20 pigs riding calmly. It was unclear whether the driver was issued a citation. They were just... Calmly riding there. Just all hanging out. Just chilling. So, yeah, pigs. Pigs in the blanket, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, pigs in a car, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is funny, yeah. yeah. Yep. What does the cop think when he pulls up and he's... He's like, He's got a car full of pigs. Okay. All right. But it was China. Yeah. And in China, you can get away with stuff like that. Hopefully, they're being used for um, not the, food purposes. No, they're probably all just pets. I no, they're pork so. chops. They're pork chops. No, no, yeah, totally. no, no, no. I like to think of it in a more positive light. I like to think of them as pets, bacon? not pork chops. Is everything no? more bacon than pork chops? Bacon. Okay. I'm going to side with Terry on this one. You wouldn't even want to eat these little pigs, though, because they're tiny. 
You want to yeah. eat the fat pigs. They're bacon bits. Yeah. Where do you think bacon bits come from? <laughs> fat pigs chopped up into little pieces. Bits. Well, actually, it's not really bacon. It's that is horrible. Thank you, Sadie. And thank you, too, for lowering what? it into the demeaning of little baby hey. pigs. Demeaning but delicious. It's the circle of life, Matt. Demeaning but delicious. Is that the new theme of the bacon company? Bacon? No, they just say the one word, bacon, ba- and it's over. <laughs> bacon. Just bacon. It, it will win every argument. Just say bacon. Just say bacon. Okay. Animals, everybody loves their animals, right? The FBI is searching for a man who they say robbed an Oklahoma bank while wearing a T-shirt depicting a cat posing for a mugshot. So not only is the guy got a mugshot, but on his T-shirt, he's got a picture of a cat posing for a mugshot in his mugshot. Wow. So it's it's like Inception. Yeah. It's a thing inside a thing. It's a thing inside a thing. And if you could zoom in closer, you'd see on the cat's T-shirt. Yeah. It's got a mouse. And and with each level, time slows down. Yeah. And you're able to, like, run around on walls and defy no, gravity. No, I don't think. No, no, no. Well, that happened. I know, but don't. No, but that's complicating. Okay. This, is, uh, this is just, you know, this is the FBI chasing a robbery suspect. Happened in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma Bank, about 20 miles south of Oklahoma City. The FBI says a man walked into the bank, gave a teller a note demanding money, then ran off with cash. Peterson says the man's note said that he had a gun, but no weapon was observed. The FBI says the man was wearing a black shirt featuring a cat posing for a jail booking photo. The FBI says the suspected bank robber also wore dark sunglasses and cargo shorts. Okay. This is uh, Jeff's favorite cat song. I don't love cats, but I love this song. I tell you, what's happening to this world? <laughs> this is Rainbow Cat. Is this the... This lady's crying about her cat because she loves her cat so much. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's not just amazing. It's crazy. Hey, in Austin, Texas, the wife of a Texas county commissioner is pleading in an online campaign video for voters to reelect her husband so he'll get out of the house and relieve her of his nonstop prattling about county issues. Mm. <laughs> prattling on. Yes, the tongue-in-cheek ad posted on YouTube shows Charlene Darty, Darty rolling her eyes at the camera and seeking relief from Gerald Doherty as he talks of tax rates, light rail issues, and other issues while doing household chores. A couple invited uh, to come over for a cookout appears exasperated with his breathless chatter. He's the, So apparently... The way I'm picking this up, nobody actually likes this candidate. <laughs> the wife doesn't. He mm. talks too much about all the issues. He prattles on. He prattles on. The neighbors come over for a barbecue. He won't be quiet. So we're supposed to vote for him? I don't know. This, yeah. I think this ad may backfire. She might not be uh, his best surrogate. Please reelect Gerald. <clears throat> Please, she says. Oh, I was Please. like, is that the campaign slogan? That's not really that catchy. Please. Begging never goes over well. Do you think that's why Melania wants Donald to run and win? Just to get out of the house? Yeah. Maybe. They probably don't spend much time together anyway. They're very busy people. And um, 
maybe this is Melania's way of just, you know, keeping Donald busy for the next four years. Because it won't be eight years. What do you mean by that? Well. It's a little presumptuous. Yeah. It might not even You're be right. four years. <laughs> There's still that. He has two pending uh, legal cases coming up. End of, end of November's yeah. Trump University. And in December, you have an assault case that he I'm has gonna to I'm going to be here so easily. I haven't even started on her yet. <laughs> so he's got those two back-to-back. If he wins the election as president-elect, he'll be in court in San Diego. Yeah. And then he'll be in court, I think, in Los Angeles with another case. So speaking of being presumptuous, we can probably presume that there's going to be some kind of a trial. Regardless of who's elected, someone, someone, somewhere, there will be a trial There's from one of these a candidates. Place for Uh-oh. us, Uh-oh. somewhere. Didn't hear the memo. Someday. Did, did he not find? We, we he, don't sing on the show. Yeah, we gotta tell him that. Mm. Um, in other news, a six-hour workday could be good for you, according to yeah. CNN's. I'm living proof. Doctor Sanjay Gupta. Yeah, it may sound <laughs> counterintuitive, but working less could actually result in higher productivity. Mm-hmm. Although many of us continue the tradition of working at least eight hours per day with an hour's break in the middle, if we're lucky, a recent study found that productivity is actually highest when people spend fewer hours working, according to researchers at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. You cut out the useless three hours a day staring at Facebook. And well, get your work done so you can get out because you're getting out at a decent time. Well, why can't you still do your three hours of staring at Facebook and get out early? Why can't you do both? Because then you're only working like three hours a day. Exactly. Yeah. Is that is that the – That was my point. That's your, your, your line there. You need three hours of work, three yeah. hours of messing around, off you go. Uh, but you kind of have that. Uh, you mess around for three hours on the air. Yeah. And then there's, you know, three maybe quality hours after the show. I know, but every once in a while somebody comes and talks to me. Yeah. I try to shut my door. I try to turn my lights off. You had off. it locked yesterday. I just stood there and knocked until I know. Until you I opened. locked it again today. I keep locking myself out of my own office. <laughs> I don't understand the door lock. Um, according to this uh, study, uh, uh, output actually starts to fall if people work more than 48 hours per week. Data on munition plant workers in Britain during World <laughs> War I showed that long hours led to fatigue and people- stress – that not only reduce productivity, they make accidents, uh, errors, and sicknesses more likely. So overworked people working at a munitions factory. Mm-hmm. So wait, this was back when? That was in World War One. You Maybe. could you could really you know monitor the mistakes too at a munitions factory. Oh yeah, you know when. Hey, where did it, Bill go? Oh, didn't you hear that? It's not explosion? a typo, or they <laughs> they added a columns wrong on a spreadsheet. There's an explosion. Hey, that was an error. Now listen to this. 100 years later, we're still facing the same issues. Today, working overtime has been linked to higher rates of injury, illness, weight gain, alcohol use, and smoking, and yep. in general, an increased risk of mortality. One study found that putting in long hours could result in a 40% higher likelihood of coronary heart disease compared with people who work standard hours. Well, during World War I, isn't it possible that they could have been stressed for other reasons? No. No. Okay. No. Just wanted to check. The doctor in me says no. Uh, in Sweden, remember, we, we learned that in Sweden, they take July off. Mm-hmm. Like, what country takes a month a off? Month off? Yeah. So. 
when you when you you know call the Swedish government in July, they, sorry, we are yeah. taking our holiday. They probably do it in shifts. It's not the whole country just goes offline. Yeah, but do they? You I don't, don't know. know. I'm just guessing. I know. Call them. We're calling them in July. Put that on your boomerang. For later today when you're using your three hours of, you know, wasting time. Nap. No, we don't call it that. We call it rejuvenation. A a new website you need to go check out. Okay. Napflix. Mm. Napflix Napflix.com. The site curates and serves up truly boring videos from YouTube in a range of categories that are bound to put you to sleep. Browsing around at this guy, he browsed around at his desk. He found himself dozing off to three hours of relaxing aquarium fish. (laughs) <laughs> coral reef fish tank and relax music and a documentary on the art of bonsai yes right it says uh, there's obvious clips like hour-long ones of an hourglass with blue sand and someone quietly uh tending to a miniature zen garden you'll also find more novel choices like relaxing in-game footage of euro truck simulator no i'm, I'm on that one right now you're just watching someone drive around in europe in a semi-truck as they stop at intersections and uh, make passing mm-hmm. you know maneuvers also uh an exploration of some guy's dad's old stamp collection mm. <laughs> in fact play clip uh is it five yeah my dad collected postage stamps until he was 18 years old. I'm not sure why he stopped at 18. There you go. Stamps. He sounded a little emotional. A little bit. He's he's rubbing the cover of this book. It's all texture. Yeah, yeah. And you hear his fingers go across. I mean, he stops wow. for like 10 seconds and just rubs the book. You're like, is he crying? What's Riveting. he doing? That could be so soothing. Maybe you should play that before you go to bed, as you're saying. Yeah. Nap Nap. Yeah. Napflix.com. Did I'm you on know, it right now. Did you know that they also have a catflix.com? Of course they do. I love cats. I love every kind of cat. I just want to hug all of them, but I can't get hug every cat. Ugh. She wants to hug all of them, but she can't. It's just not yeah. Yeah. not possible. I've got a cat I want her to hug. It's a tiger. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I, that was mean. That was really mean. I'm not I, – I'm allergic to cats. So do you like Netflix? No, I can't stop watching it. You just watch a guy drive his just semi-truck it around Europe. when we drove in Costa Rica. This is great. You're in the cab. It's riveting. Honestly, I could do but this. But it will put you to sleep. Will it? Or listen to the guy talk about his dad's stamp collection for 42 minutes. Oh, man. Now I'm waiting for a train to pass. <laughs> See, that's the problem with the game is you actually follow traffic rules. Yeah. Every game I've played where you drive, the whole point is not to follow traffic rules. No, this one you want to. I, I don't know that I like that I'm driving a tanker truck full of petrol <laughs> because that's just dangerous. Yeah. I wonder um, if you could stop on a train track. What would that do? Probably – Kill you, or, or would some kind person stop the train and help you across the track? Yeah. That'd be kind of a They'll boring pull game. They'll me out and get me and save my life. Uh, okay, fun stuff. But here's the deal. So let's say you are incredibly smart, right? Uh, a uh, a professor of astrophysics, perhaps. And you, what do you think about? What makes your life interesting? What makes you amazed in this world? You already know what the cosmos is all about. 
it's it's pretty powerful. So we'll, when we come back, we'll be speaking with Dr. Marcello uh, Gleiser about um, his new book, The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected, A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Everything. But for anybody else that's stressed out of your head because of this election season, we wanted to just remind you one more time that there is something you can do. If you're too stressed, you're tired of listening to Donald or Hillary Clinton argue and all of their issues and all of their pundits, then just take this very simple advice. What difference at this point does it make? Bing, bing, bing. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Ah, I'm just so sick of all this political coverage on TV. Let's see what's on Twitter. Clinton and Trump faced each other for the first time Monday night. Catch up on what happened. Oh, I just can't get away from politics. Perhaps I can be of some assistance. I doubt it. Keeping up with all this news is just so exhausting. Well, let me make a small suggestion. It's just three words. Are you ready? I guess. Turn it off. Turn it off? What do you mean? Well, if it makes you sick, just click. Wait, you're telling me I can just turn it off? Yes. That's asking a lot. No, it isn't. But my Twitter page, I should keep reading political news there, right? No. But then how do I keep up on what's going on? You don't. And that's okay? Yes. But how do I do that? Just turn off the TV. Shut off your phone. Cease and desist. Halt. Refrain. Sounds too easy. What's the catch? No catch. It is that easy. I don't know. You could also close your eyes and shut your ears. Cancel your cable and phone services. Or if you're looking for something more extreme, gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Or burst your eardrums with some Slim Whitman. All right, I'll turn it off, I promise. Turn it off, the new movement brought to you by people with common sense. Fishing is a sport of leisure, right? You know, you might go out early in the morning alone and wait hours until you have a bite. And in those hours, many people just sit in silent reflection, but few people spend their time pondering about particle cosmology. But Dr. Marcelo Gleiser does that and even more. I think, uh, uh, can you imagine knowing as much as, I guess, one human can know about the world of theoretical physics? Then you take that brain and you go stand in a river fly fishing. What do you find there? That's what uh, we wanted to ask our next guest. Uh, Dr. Marcelo Gleiser joins us. He's the author of the book, The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected, A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Everything. And he's here today to, to talk about some of his, uh, his great insights and learning. Dr. Gleiser, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, my what, pleasure. What a wonderful, um, I think, undertaking you, you've made here. You you are a world-renowned theoretical physicist, hundreds of articles and um, 
and uh, and just and 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 skilled in what you do. What does a physicist think about when you're standing in a river? <laughs> well, you know, there are different ways of thinking about that. The best the best way to think about that is that I go to the river not to think about theoretical physics. Right. You know, um, it was. It was really an attempt to connect with nature in a less theoretical way. Um, so going to the river for me really represents an engagement of us humans with nature in a much more direct way than through equations and formulas and mm-hmm. data. Is it is it a form of meditation for you? Is it does it does it kind of reach a level of spiritual? Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it may shock some people to think that way, but uh, really uh, the, the big parallel here between the fishing and the research in science is that, in, believe it or not, both of them deal with the unknown, right? So mm-hmm. from a fisherman, especially in fly fishing, which is a pretty hard thing to learn, you know, but what you're really trying to do is trying to go into the river and figure out what the fish are doing without actually being in their world. So you're dealing with this unknown world of the fish and what they eat and are they even there, what sort of currents are there, etc. And the way you probe that unknown world of the fish is through an instrument, through tools, which are in this case just the line, you know, and the, and the, and the fly, the hook. And in science, you're sort of doing something similar because you don't see everything there is to see of the world with our eyes and our ears. We, we're surrounded by this invisible reality out there. And the way we try to make sense of that is, again, using tools. In the case of the scientists, you're talking about microscopes and telescopes. And these are things that amplify our vision of reality. And so, in a sense, both of them are connecting us with something grander than we are in the case of the fishing, you know, nature and in the case of science, also nature, but from a more descriptive perspective. And you do this everywhere, right? Because you're going to conferences all over the world. So you just take your you take your rod, you take your reel and you get out anywhere you can. Yeah, so that that has been uh, my quest, you know, in the last for the last few years, where I would, uh, as long as they, I mean, if you go to Washington D.C., you're dead, right? But <laughs> but if you're going to like fun places where there are rivers with trout and salmon, then I would take the opportunity to do that, and always trying to get a local mentor as well, because one of the things about this whole fishing process, and again, there is a parallel here with science, is that you need a mentor to learn how to fly fish properly, you know, and and it's really about my encounters with these fellows from northern England, from Tuscany, from Iceland, from southern Brazil, mm. and, you know, myself putting putting me in a position of the apprentice again, you know, because, you know, you get to middle age and you sort of settle in a profession and I'm doing okay as a scientist and, and suddenly here I am trying something new that I didn't know. And, and and having the humility to actually learning, you know, from someone that knows this much better than I do. Mm. In fact, you, you make it a point that in your book about how this is really an act, a process of humility. It is. And so is science. You know, even though some people, and with some reason actually, think that scientists tend to be somewhat arrogant, 
I actually make a point in the book of, of saying something like a scientist who is arrogant is like a peacock with some of the feathers in the tail missing and without a mirror to look mm. at himself, mm. you know, because the truth is that, yes, we have learned a lot about nature in the last 400 years, but there's so much that we do not know and that nature is so much smarter than we are that we're always playing a catch-up game. Hmm. How how powerful for you to be? I mean, to I mean, because it just seems like you're taking two extreme lives—the extreme astrophysicist, scientist, and then the just the the nature-loving fly fisherman—and it seems like it must take your brain on a really unique dance. It does, you know. I mean, I kind of fool around a little bit in the book with the physics of fly fishing, you know. So I talk about how, you know, when you're casting, you're really transferring the potential energy of the bent rod into the kinetic energy of the mm-hmm. flying fly, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. that's really not what the book is about. And the book is definitely not a fishing manual. If anything, it's really more a book about finding time in your life to kind of reinvent yourself, you know. So it's, yes, there is the science and the cosmology and the quantum physics, but it's really a book about... Um, how do we, in this very rushed life of ours, you know, kind of take a step back and rediscover who we are through an activity that forces us to kind of be outside time, in a sense. And fishing does that, you know, and, and, and research, of course, does that. But I was trying to get out of my you know, competitive academic life, you know, of publishing and getting grants and stuff. And and that did it for me, you know, although, as you probably know, there is a big twist as we get to the end of the book about this whole thing of fishing and fly fishing. Mm. In fact, talk to us about talk to us about the book itself. I mean, you because you're a busy person anyway. How how does one find time to write a book like this? <laughs> well, yeah, time management. Right. So. So um, what I tend to do is because, you know, I am teaching, I am doing research, I have PhD students here at Dartmouth, and, um, and I have to write grants to pay them and to pay some of my salaries. So, so what you do is you get smart about how focused you are when you're doing something. So, for example, I always turn off email and Internet when I'm either calculating my, on my research or when I'm writing and I tend to allocate two days a week to just my writing. So, you know, I don't just write books. I also have a blog at NPR Mm -hmm. that has been going on for quite a while now. And it's a very successful uh, science and culture blog. And, and to be honest, this sort of complementarity of the research and the writing and the public intellectual kind of approaches, they kind of enrich my life a lot because by writing, you are connecting with the public in very different ways that you are with your colleagues in, in, in the sciences. You know, and, and what you see is there is a huge appetite for, for this kind of information, you know, for what is the Big Bang and black holes yeah. and what is quantum physics. And people really want to know, you know. And, and so I feel like you shouldn't just be a teacher inside a classroom, you know. You should be a teacher in a broader sense of the world and exchange information with all these people. And by the way, I end up learning a lot in the process, which is very enriching. Which, which is a larger chasm 
to cross, uh, you know, the vastness of space or a protective human being that's unwilling to open up and disclose? <laughs> Which, what are you learning? What's more complicated, human well, mind and relationships yeah. or space? I think definitely the former. You know, mm. there's no question that uh, people uh, are much more complex than than the universe. You know, I think as you go up in the sciences, you know, from physics to chemistry to biology to psychology, the complexity only grows. You know, mm. and our and our knowledge only decreases. You know, because we can't at least knowledge in a quantifiable sense. You know, we can't really make very useful models of of the mind yet and yeah. certainly not about our subjective feelings and and things like that so so absolutely there is a there is a barrier there and i always say that you know the best teacher in the world could not teach someone who is not willing to learn and and i think that's true in every sphere of life you know from the classroom to the family to politics, given that the week that we are at right yeah. now. And, and, and one of the things that I mention a lot in the book, and the book really turns into a sort of ecological manifesto of our relationship with the planet and ourselves. And, and the way I do that is by using the latest science that we have, specifically in astronomy and in this new field called astrobiology, which is the study of life in the universe, mm. to basically, you know, basically ETs, right? I mean, extraterrestrial life and extraterrestrial intelligence. Now we actually get grants to think about this stuff, which is very exciting. Um, and as you probably know, we now have found all these other planets going around other stars, right? Mm. And, and so they're called exoplanets. So we know that more than 80% of the stars in our galaxy. So the sun is one star, right? Right. In our galaxy with our eight planets, now that Pluto has been, you know, demoted. But then you have um, 200 billion other stars in the Milky Way, our galaxy alone. And so you think about that and you think, wow, and 80% of those roughly have planets and a bunch of them. And planets have moons, right? right? Some of them have lots of moons, like Jupiter has more than 64. So you're talking trillions, you know, a one with like 12 zeros, worlds out there. And each one is different, just like Venus and Earth and Mars are so different from one another. So, so people start to think about that and they say, damn, you know, the more we learn about these the scientists are telling us, the more we learn about the universe the less important, the less relevant Earth and than us become. Right? Mm. It's sort of like the scientific angst. Yeah. Of, and so, and I have, with these public encounters and writings, I, I feel like people want an answer, you know. So what do you guys have to say about that? And, and in this book and in my previous books, couple of books, I have kind of constructed this argument where, which turns this whole thing upside down. And basically what we know is that, yes, there are tons of worlds out there, and Earth is only one of them. But when you start to look at the properties of this planet, you know, and there are quite a few of them that I'm sure we can go into details in your show, but the Earth, the global um, 
the global uh, properties that we have, the big moon, the magnetic field, the kind of atmosphere, the distance from the sun, etc., conspire to make this into a very specific hmm. planet, with, which is basically an oasis for life. Right? And why it needs to be protected. And why it needs to be protected at all costs, mm. exactly. So suddenly, you know, from being nothing and lost in the vastness of the universe, we sort of become a very central player in this whole game. Because the truth is, yes, there could be life in other worlds out there. There are lots of them. Most probably that kind of life is going to be very simple, like bacteria, like unicellular creatures, you know, not complex, smart aliens mm-hmm. like we see in the movies, which makes us very, very rare and very, very important indeed, you know. Oh, that's and that's where we become important again, by having this new perspective in the co- of who we are in the cosmos, you know, basically creatures made of stardust, they're able to think about these questions and have self-awareness, mm. you know, and that, that is quite something. That is, and and then and then share it and communicate it and be a part of uh, connecting with others on it. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Marcelo uh, Gleiser, who is walking us through his new book, The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected, A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Everything. Man, astrophysics at a human level, one that we can—it's uh, still about humans. It's still about— this incredible blessing of Earth and also of being able to connect with one another. We'll continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Marcelo Gleiser. He is the author of uh, many, many books and countless articles. He truly is a world-famous theoretical physicist and author of the book The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected, A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Life. Uh, The Simple Beauty of the Unexpected is a scientist's tribute to nature, an affirmation of humanity's deep connection with and debt to Earth. Uh, Dr. Gleiser, again, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I think you described the book well. <laughs> thank you. I, I really, I think it's profound. Because I love people that, that know a lot about their specialty and then also that can enlighten us about how special this Earth is. This is, we do take it for granted, don't we? I mean, we live in this crazy ball and ecosystem that is really one in a trillion. I mean, what are the odds of this happening to this degree the way it is on the Earth? Exactly. Well, you know, if I only knew the answer yeah. to that question, that would be awesome. But we don't know how uh, the odds for other Earth-like planets or something similar to it, but we do know that the odds are not very large, mm. right? So, so that, to me, is, is really what matters, coupled to something else that really matters, which is the fact that as a species, you know, we humans are really unique. You know, I can tell you with certainty that there are no other humans in the universe. We're the only ones, you know. There may be other intelligent species way out there, and they may have this sort of left-right symmetry that we have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at ourselves, at least approximate, but they're not going to be like us. So that already makes us unique. And then, 
couple to that is the fact that to travel to other stars where there will be other planets that may or may not have life is really very hard. So just to give you a number, you know, our neighbor, neighboring stellar system is Alpha Centauri and a couple of other stars around there. And that's about four and a half light years away from us. That mm. just means that if you travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you know, a ridiculous <laughs> super speed, we would take four and a half years to get there. Now, if you use our fastest rocket ship right now, to try to get there, it would take us 100,000 years, roughly. <laughs> yeah. So we're really alone, you know, and I think that is something that we have to really think very seriously about. You know, the ETs are not here. They haven't been. If they have been, they, they, they left, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and so we're here. We have some very serious issues to deal with in the next few decades. And we have to take responsibility for the planet that we have and for our respect for life, human and any other kind. And that's really where the book goes in mm. the end. It's really, I mean, it's about, it's about connecting. It's about, I guess, valuing the earth and valuing the people and kind of the specialness of, of all of us on this earth. And then, like you said, how little we actually know about the human side of all of this. It's yeah, it's kind it's, of scary when you when you form it the way you just formed it. We are so alone and we are very much so ignorant as to how it all works. We we are. And and furthermore, you know, people that say, well, we're soon going to be colonizing other planets and so who cares kind of, you know, I mean mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking and other people have made and that's just in my opinion, really nonsense, because um, to talk about colonizing other we can't even go to the moon again with humans. You know, it's hard for us to do that. Going to Mars is going to be a few decades before we do that. It's not like we can't do that. We can. It's just a technological barrier. It's not like there's a law of nature that forbids us from doing it. But it's a hard technological barrier. And so that means that for us to move out into other places thinking that we can do whatever we want here and then we'll have a second chance elsewhere Mm. is really pushing the envelope to hundreds of years ahead of time. And that is just not realistic. No. Well, and it's also, it's, I mean, master yourself first, right? I mean, master your home, clean it up, get your own house in order before you go mess up the universe. Exactly. And and boy, are we messing it up good. You know, I mean, so so that is there's a whole discussion we could or not have about, you know, what's going on with with global warming and how right. we relate to that. Um, and and one thing that I do like to talk about when I mention these things is that people tend to have a very passive approach to this whole thing saying, well, you know, I, I won't make a difference. You know, I mean, it's really the big corporations and the armed forces that really are the big polluters. And what could I do by myself? And I think that sort of attitude is really not very good for the planet because two reasons. First, individuals do make a difference. You know, you alone can control how much water you use, how much energy you use, you know, this this 
like brushing your teeth with the water running kind of thing. You know, yeah. you don't need to do that. So, so those little things multiplied by billions of people will make a difference. You know, we need awareness of that. And, and so that's the one thing. The other thing is that um, as we get together as consumers, you know, we do have the power to influence corporations, you know. So if we know that Corporation X doesn't do well with the environment or is exploiting labor in, 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 in the wrong way, you can stop buying products from X. And if lots of people stop buying products from X, then X will have to change. And, and people now talk in business schools, people talk about corporate ethics, you know, where mm-hmm. Some companies, and, uh, and it's a growing number, are waking up to the fact that people are getting smarter about these things. And if they don't shape up, they're going to lose customers, which is the last thing they want. So we do have power as individuals and as consumers to make a difference. And with each other, too, right? I mean, like you bring up how you uh, – some of the most engaging things you do is would be talking to other guides as you're, um, as you're uh, fishing – yeah. What's that like? I mean, a human connection from you to a person from a completely different country, you know nothing about their river, you know nothing. But what are those connections like? So that's a great question. And and so I always like to talk about us being very tribal. You know, we humans are tribal by by evolution. You know, we, we survived in tribes. And a tribe is a good thing in the sense that it protects us from common evil and it helps us find food and and so there is a sheltering and also it has a communal value of being places where we we share values with people and so we feel justified and we feel empowered by the tribe right but on the other hand when you take that to an extreme the tribe can also be a serious problem because if you take it to an extreme you start judging people that do not belong Mm. to your tribe and you start saying the other you know and the other the ones that don't belong to my tribe are not worthy and we know from bad bad sad examples across the world that if you take that to a real radical extremist uh ideology you can really hurt and kill people with this tribal allegiance Mm. so what is the hardest thing to do? You mentioned, you know, talking to different people is not just tolerating difference, but is actually engaging and being curious about people that don't think like you do. And that is just the hardest thing for us to do. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you look at someone that you completely disagree with, you know, say pro-choice versus pro-life, and to actually sit down and have a meaningful conversation where you're not just like, throwing punches at one another is is very difficult but honestly we are you know far away from the caves you know it's been like 200,000 years since we kind of showed up in this planet and 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 agrarian civilization is at least 10,000 years old and we're still sort of behaving that way mm. right yeah and and so the biggest challenge i think for us as we move ahead uh, and this is a very good week to talk about this, is to actually learn to see the other not immediately as an enemy, but as a possible partner, even if opinions are different. And mm-hmm. I think that is a very difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of openness and humility, you know, and and 
and I don't see how else we're going to move forward if we don't kind of realize that this is the time to begin to think this way. I uh, know. I totally agree. And um, really, I think I think you add great insight into that. Again, we, we're members of tribes on this earth, but then again, this earth is such a unique environment that we don't even pay attention to. And sometimes we pay more attention to our Republican or Democratic affiliations than we do the fact that you're a member of one of the most incredible planets ever. And that is our joint tribe. There you go. So you can talk about us as a species, you know, we humans depending completely on this planet. I mean, if you start to think about this, if things go crazy, you know, earthquakes, volcanoes, tidal waves, you name it, then we very quick, quickly lose control. You yeah. know, I mean, nature is much stronger than we are. So the biggest tribe here is us as a species coexisting in this planet. And, and that should stand above and beyond any other subdivision of our tribes. But People are still not quite waking up to that yet, but I'm optimistic, and yeah. I think they will eventually, you know. Yeah. Dr. Marcelo Gleiser, thank you so much for your great work. Uh, totally inspiring to me and I think to so many others. The book, my friends, is called, again, The uh, Simple Beauty of the Unexpected, A Natural Philosopher's Quest for Trout and the Meaning of Life. And what great advice uh, that we are all members of uh, Planet Earth Tribe. Let's remember that when it comes to this weekend and and the election next week. There's so much bigger things out there that, uh, that keep us together. We'll take a break. Come back. When we do, we'll teach you how to save time with Leanna Tan. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. As you know, we like to... Uh, to give you added insight on different topics today, Leanna Tan, one of our producers, will be talking about how to save time. This morning, I was just doing my daily and weekly planning and trying to navigate my way through all the mess of ink and scribbles in my planner and was reminded of how packed my schedule can get. But then I figured, you know, I'm probably not the only one experiencing this. Yes, many of us are just busy all the time, but there are certain times of the years that are way busier than others, and I think we're approaching one of those times of the year. Now for college students, the assignments are really picking up, the weather is causing traffic to pile up, and the holiday season is just a bustling time of the year in itself. But don't worry, I'm here to help out. I'm no Hermione Granger and I can't turn time, but I do have something that's just as good. Today, I will share with you five secrets I have for saving time. Always have a spare can opener. Sounds crazy, but stick one in your desk drawer or at work or in your car or something. This way, if you're ever running late to work or school and don't have time to pack a lunch or buy one, you can just grab a can of tuna or maybe a can of soup or something and have it for lunch. Plus, you don't have to worry about it spilling all over the place while you're in a rush. Make use of your walking time. I feel the earth move under my feet. You might not notice it, but walking from the top of the building to the bottom or crossing campus or even crossing the parking lot to your car can take significant time out of your day. So instead of just being lost in thought or scrolling through Pinterest, 
Take that time to cross off the little things on your to-do list, like calling your bank or mechanic. Hi, this is Earl at the mechanic. I'm going to need your car for three more days. It turns out your steering wheel is bent, the drive shaft is bent, your tie rods are bent, your rims are bent. Your tires are not bent, but they are bald. It's going to run about $985. Shop online. Yeah. I used to hate the idea of online shopping. Maybe my hate developed after my first time trying to buy textbooks online, and what I got instead was a massive cloth flag of the state of Utah. To this day, I still have no idea why. That's why I'm I have since succumbed to the Amazon monopoly and realized that A, I get a lot more variety for what I shop for and all I have to do is type in the search bar to find what I'm looking for instead of hunting down a sales clerk. B, I don't even have to leave my house and it just comes right to me, which takes out all the time you have to spend getting in your car, finding the right store, and waiting in long lines. And C, it's a great weight loss incentive considering 80% of the stuff that comes in the mail is actually two sizes too small. Actually have a destination for your morning run. This is how you kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, you feel way too guilty eliminating your daily workout from your schedule when things get packed. But you still have to get groceries or drop off that thing at your friend's house that you borrowed a month ago. So, instead of blocking out time for both things, just take your morning run to the grocery store or to your friend's house. This might be more motivating because you have to make sure you're back on time, and you know, wherever you run to, it will take just as long to run back. So, this tactic is a sure way to turn joggers into sprinters overnight. Figure out, hey Siri. Siri, read my new messages. What do you think I am? An iPhone. Request canceled. Yep. Still trying to figure out all the new features on my iPhone, but this one is pretty cool because she's like my own little robot and does whatever I tell her. That means I can multitask while I'm walking or at a stoplight because I can text or search for stuff hands-free. Only I really think they need to develop a hearing aid app for my Siri. If you just said something, I didn't hear what it was. But Siri is not the only technology today that's at our fingertips. Think of all the technology that has been invented to help us save time. Vacuum cleaners, washing machines, computers, cell phones. But you have to make sure that you're using it to save time rather than pass time, right? With these five helpful tips, you'll be saving lots of significant pockets of time throughout your day. But remember to ask yourself, now that you're saving all this time, what are you actually doing with it? Well, happy scheduling. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. You made it another week, and you can pretty much just coast now, right? I'm already coasting. Already there. You've been coasting all morning, Jeffrey. Come on. And uh, the neat thing, too, if you have kids, you also have a lot of candy left over. Nope. Nope. Our uh, our our kids' neighbor friends came over and ate the rest without asking or saying thank you or anything. Wow. You need yeah. to come to my house. We sent them home. We have We still have pretty much three quarters of our candy that we were going to hand out. 
is available. I was disappointed. I didn't get very many Butterfingers or Snickers bars or Kit Kats. I got maybe one of each. Mm. And, you know, they weren't the full size. They They were were just like the little minuscule. The nubbins. Yeah. You got Butterfingers. The baby bites. Well, I'm sorry. Can I give you an apple slice? I might take you up on that. Okay. Hey, we got a great show for you today. Uh, Rod Gustafson will be joining us from ParentPreviews.com to to, uh, review two movies, Doctor Strange and Hacksaw Ridge. He did see it. We didn't didn't think that he – or maybe he saw the preview. We're going to set him up. Hacksaw Ridge, he said he was hoping to be able to get it in. So we'll find out if he was able to see that. Two very popular movies according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, they're being reviewed well. You got to like that. So that that'll give you something to do this weekend. Hmm. He didn't go see Trolls. That's getting with some good reviews too. Justin Timberlake. Really? I I'm not into Trolls. It's a cartoon. Yeah. Take your well, your grandkids too young, and yeah. your your kids are too old. Mm-hmm. But so you're not your, you're not too young. Yeah, you're fine. You can watch Trolls. I'm the, good. They bring relentless happiness, is what it says. <laughs> it is musical. They sing. My happiness and then they're is super relentless. happy. And there's cupcakes all over the place. Now, cupcakes I could go for. So if you don't like happiness, then don't go see it, Matt. Hmm. No, it's relentless happiness. Oh, that I seems see. a little overpowering. Relentless? That's a lot of happiness. Ugh. So we will uh, we'll be talking with him. Plus, of course, we'll go to the Good Brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's on their show. When you talk with Rod yeah, and you get to Doctor Strange... Ask about the Cloak of Levitation and the Eye of Agamotto. Now, why would I do that? Because the Cloak of Levitation apparently is almost another character in the show. It's really? not just Doctor Strange's cape. It's actually, it takes on a whole role of a character almost. Nerd alert! And the totally. Eye of Agamotto is the source of Doctor Strange's power as he's the Sorcerer Supreme protecting this realm Nerd! from the evil that could and is trying to take over he's trying to save the universe he's a hero i don't know if you knew that nope okay i didn't there you go um i know rod loves this stuff so ask him all those questions terry (laughs) you need a life rod really doesn't uh play well with these superhero movies no he does have a life he's going out saturday night with his wife to watch dr strange okay and troll no, um, I am. I'm going to go see Doctor Strange. I'm you good. just you went so nerd on us right there. No, I didn't. No. I, I gave you some facts. You let me just tell you something. Doesn't that sound cool? The cloak of levitation. Yeah, but it's a phrase that only a very, very yeah. few people would ever use. And and then you compounded it with the eye of Agamotto. Yeah, isn't that cool? Thus solidifying your place in nerddom. Dormammu is his chief, like oh. rival villain. So Dormammu. alert nerd. Dormammu. Mm. It's not, I don't know if he's in the movie. No, he may not be. I know an agent of Dormammu is, but... Oh, bro. You know, just so you know, that's the first and only time I've played all four of our nerd... I don't know that I've ever seen him go that nerdy. <laughs> I mean, he's gone nerd a lot, but that was like... Wait till next year when Black Panther comes out. That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching Flash lately. And? I like it. It's but, fun. But I, I, I can only imagine what you would be like sitting next to watching Flash. My wife hates it. I'm, I'm always sure. like, oh, oh, do you know what that means? Let me tell you. Yeah, I got Vagamodo. 
Is that the one where the or where uh, Queen does the soundtrack? No. Flash. That's Flash Gordon. No, that's good. From the seventies. Boy, that was. With the Hawkman. You're singing again. This has been a show of firsts. We've had complete nerd off, and then we've got Diana Ross, a la Jeff Simpson, singing the besties of the oldies. Yeah. Man. I was just trying. I was just trying to prep you further for the interview about the movie. Well, I appreciate it. There's key elements at play here. Now you can go a full hour with him on Doctor Strange. Man. And there are two cutscenes after the movie. You know what we probably so ought to have So halfway through the credits and then at the end of the credits. So don't leave if you see this movie. Stay all the way to the end. Maybe you need to stay with us as no, and fine. you be with me while I interview. I usually just distract and derail. So you can you can do it. It's fine. Well, isn't that part of your job description? Distract and derail. At times. Mm-hmm. That's one of the shows. So hard to do. Um, okay. We got pretty much nerd down, song down. We will be visiting with BYU Sports Nation. We'll do the hero of the day. Plus, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date on some other stories that you may need to know. We'll probably end up having to do some type of news flush. But first and foremost, to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? A South Carolina woman reported missing in August along with her live-in boyfriend was found on Thursday chained up like a dog in a storage container and a registered sex offender was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping, the county sheriff said. Kayla Brown, 30, was discovered after police searching a large property in South Carolina heard banging noises from inside the 15-foot by 30-foot container, the county sheriff said. Brown told police that she had been held captive for two months in the padlock storage box and that there might be up to four dead bodies on the property. Police are searching the property currently. The FBI has found emails related to Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State on the laptop belonging to the estranged husband of Uma Abedin, Anthony Weiner, according to a U.S. official. These emails are not duplicates of emails found on Secretary Clinton's private server. At this point, however, it remains to be seen whether these emails are significant to the FBI's investigation into Clinton. It is also not known how many relevant emails there are. The State Department published an additional 12 or 1,280 pages of official emails belonging to the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton this afternoon as part of the court-ordered effort to produce some of her more recently discovered correspondence before the presidential election. The documents come from the nearly 15,000 emails the FBI recovered during its investigation into the Democratic nominee's handling of sensitive information on a controversial private email server. And finally... Yes! In your post, post, post Halloween news. Yes, that's a um, lot of posts. Yes, because we're we're getting there to the point where we probably won't discuss this anymore. Let's but just make it a rule all, next week. Let's not talk. It's Halloween. almost pre-Thanksgiving. It is true. We need some pre-pre-pre-pre-Thanksgiving. Next week, I'll bring it to you. Okay. okay, a man who has been baffling Londoners by dressing up as a rabbit. Not a clown. On the first of every month to wave at cars says his purpose is spreading unconditional love. Social media was a buzz on Tuesday about the return of the six foot tall white w- rabbit. Wouldn't it be hopping? Not necessarily a buzz. Yes, the hopping. Go ahead, sorry. Who has previously been spotted on the first of each month for the past year waving at passing cars on the Barnes Bridge in London. Hmm. Some social media users were amused by the bunny mystery, mystery bunny, while others wondered if he had a sinister motive. Well. So we're moving now. 
I mean, we're still a little bit far away from Easter. Yeah. It's like pre, 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 pre Easter. But apparently this is what this man's uh, life calling is why to be are, a why six do, foot tall white bunny. But why does that worry people? He's I just trying to bring joy. People are just so hung up after the clown epidemic that they can't see anyone in any type of costumes anymore. <sighs> but clowns are so different than bunnies. Bunnies not, are cute. Eh, well, it's six foot. It's a six foot tall bunny. It's not little. But imagine the size of that. Imagine the luck that would come from that bunny's foot. Isn't that the one that uh, that Jimmy Stewart supposedly saw oh, in yeah. that movie? It's like Marty or Fluffy or <laughs> or Bojangles or I don't know. You got an Oscar nomination for it, huh? L- Louis the bunny. Louis. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. Yep. You're Louie the bunny. So, um, well, thank you, Sadie. You knocked it out of the park. A phrase that Sadie loves me to say. Hey, um, what do you think, Terry? Any news that we need to make sure we caught, we have uh, disseminated before we leave this great show A today? frequent contributor on the show. Yes. Not by their choice, just kind of we grab their stories and read them, is the Florida man. The Florida man, air quote, the general Florida man. Because of uh, ease of access to information in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. you uh, news organizations were able to find all these police reports of just crazy things going on, and we read those stories. Yeah. Most of them deal with uh, cars and people just doing crazy things. Uh, one newspaper went through and tried to find out um, – who is Florida man voting for? Florida man in general. In general. Yeah. So the Wall Street Journal, NBC Wall Street Journal poll of the state of Florida found that 49% of men in the state support Donald Trump. 39% support Hillary Clinton. Florida men appear primed to go for Trump in November. But what about Florida man? Florida man. You know, the guy who draws uh, – the guy that's well, I can't in, read that. But, he, uh, you know, just – He's in every story that – Guys are flying private planes and they're drawing pictures in the sky that are not appropriate type of yeah. thing or they're dancing in the courtroom and, again, inappropriate ways because it's Florida. Sure. The Tampa Bay Times attempted to find out after calling more than 100 phone numbers attached to so-called Florida man stories. <laughs> the paper found 11 people will, willing to share their preference for president. So it's not the greatest sample. But it is a sample. Two of them, two of the 11, it should be noted, are technically Florida women, but membership in this club is less about gender and more about the ability to show up in news of the weird sections across the country. The result, Clinton wins 7-4. to four. Hmm. Among those going for Trump are the Florida women with a costume-loving pet alligator named Rambo and a Florida man who changed his name to Bruce Jenner to preserve the, <laughs> um, the name of the Olympic hero. If that makes any sense. Uh, Clinton supporters include a Florida man seduced by a dolphin and a Florida man arrested for buying his uh, – burying his boss in dirt on a construction site or something. Wow. <laughs> seduced by a dolphin? Seduced by a dolphin. But have, I you ever, have you ever swam with a dolphin? They're very smooth. They're very seductive. <laughs> so the result of these, these 11 people that always show up in these crazy stories, Clinton wins 7 to 4. Hmm. Not sure what that means, but there it is. Well, because we there's a lot of really funny stories about a Florida man, and it just it would it is interesting to know who they're attracted to, and apparently they're attracted to Hillary. 
And dolphins. And dolphins. Nothing nothing wrong with that. Seductive dolphins. That. Yeah. Um, any other headlines? Well, let me have give you, you one. Have you ever called the Butterball Turkey Line? Yeah. For tips on maybe you're, you run into a problem I wasn't with even turkey. cooking. I just wanted to talk turkey. It's been around for years. People call. There's there's a bunch of women that are there to yeah. consultants to help out with your your. I'm sure there's men there too. Probably. I don't want to limit the no. the access to who can give out uh, cooking tips there. But uh, there's service available 24 seven through November 24th. It starts November 17th. Okay. Goes through the 24th. Yeah. There's a number you can look it up and find it. But they're also adding a text line. Oh, good. So now you can just text them instead of having to wait on hold. <laughs> Hey, my turkey's still pink. They also started offering help via Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Can you imagine just the dumb things people ask? Some of the most common questions involve how big of a turkey to buy or what to do if you forget to thaw the bird before the big day. What if I don't have an oven or a microwave? Can I still cook my turkey? How do I cook my turkey? So I told you that uh, a couple of years ago I worked for an organic free-range chicken and turkey farm, right? Yeah. No, you didn't. So Mary's chickens, Mary's turkeys, the, it, they're uh, the Pittman family. Pittman family. The... In Sanger, California. Okay. And on Thanksgiving Day, their entire family will sit around the phones and take those very same calls. Really? Yeah. So how giving of them? Yeah. Thanksgiving Day. Hmm. So I'm sure they get all sorts of crazy oh, yeah. questions. I think it would be fun to just mislead them a little bit. Should my turkey be moving like that? My turkey keeps wiggling when I put it in so the oven. you say it's a turkey, but you describe a pot roast? Is that yeah, what you would do? that's exactly right. The, the feather, my turkey's really brown. <laughs> the feathers are normal, right? <laughs> my feathers are smoking. Uh, I know people that have cut, cooked the whole turkey with the giblets in it, mm-hmm. but with the giblets in like a plastic bag yeah. in it. That's how they oh. come. Yeah, but you're supposed That's to take that out. Yeah. Uh, always take the giblets out. Well, take the plastic bag out. You can put the giblets back. You know what? I have a feeling you can never really put the giblets back. Are you with me? Once you take the giblets out of the turkey, I'm not even sure if those are the actual giblets from the turkey. That may be the giblets from another turkey. Well, folks, see, that's what you get to look forward to. Just a few weeks away, you can just start pounding turkey and stuffing and mm, 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 mm. Life is good. We shall take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking movies with Rod Gustafson. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the show. And because it's Friday, that means it's time to do uh, some movie reviews. And who better to help us with that than um, our friends from Parent Previews? Rod Gustafson joins us today. And Rod is uh, going to be reviewing two or three movies, depending on how many we can get to. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, Matt. And please excuse my voice this morning because, oh, I I just got hit with something last Sunday. It came on and it's... It's, it's even still with me. It's even deeper than normal. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. So talk yeah. to me because this seems like a really good weekend for for films for movies. 
Yeah, there are some good choices. So, um, okay, tell you what, I'm going, to, I'm going to flip it around because I forgot to even tell you about trolls. Yeah. Because I saw it like about a week ago. So let's talk about trolls quick. Start because with this the trolls. Is definitely. Uh, this one's going to be the most family friendly choice okay. that we have out there, and I think a few people are surprised at how good trolls is. I was. I went in this one, Mr. Bad Attitude, and I thought these little singing, dancing, annoying-looking little toys <laughs> are just going to bug me. And um, it actually worked out to be quite good. I was quite, I was quite impressed with this film. Hmm. Uh, and what it is is a story about it's a story about trolls, and there's this little um, troll princess who who basically leads the whole troll community, and she can't just help herself from being happy. She's always singing, dancing, bouncing. And so are all the other trolls, except for one other troll. His name is Branch, and he's the realist. And he's he's one of these guys. He's got a little a little cave that's full of survival food and everything else because he knows one day that these these big grumpy things in their community are going to attack them, and he's prepared for that. These mm. things are called the Bergens. And so basically, he's the guy that's saying to the rest of them, quit singing and dancing. You're making so much noise, the Bergens are going to find us. And of course, the Bergens find them. Mm. They go on a little road trip to rescue the trolls, blah, blah, blah. The, the, what I liked about the film, Matt, was the messages. There's a real solid message in here that you have a choice in your attitude. Your happiness isn't dependent on external factors. It's dependent on whether you are going to choose to be happy or not. And I thought that was a really good message yeah. for, for kids. And it's a fun movie, and it's full of 1970s, 1980s music. So, you know, for, uh, for some older parents who are going to this film, you may even find yourself liking it. You may not want to admit it, but you just might <laughs> like it. And is uh, Justin Timberlake's in this? Yes, Justin Timberlake. Uh, he does the story of uh, of Branch, or the voice. Sorry, of Branch. He's the he does the voice of the. He's the realist troll, hmm. and then Anna Kendrick as well, doing Poppy, and she's the little bouncy. Bouncy oh, always wants to have fun. Trolls just want to have fun. Now there's an '80s song. <laughs> that it. is, yeah. Pull that yeah. one out. So, what grade did you give Trolls? B plus, B plus on this one. Parents, about you know the biggest warning is watch out for your wallet because these things are going to be all over the place in uh, oh, toy stores true. near you. Yeah. And, uh, and so you may want to invert the message and say to your children, you don't really need a troll to be happy. You can choose to be happy without <laughs> a troll. And that, that's the story, by the way, too, I should, I should mention, yeah, okay, this is a little scary for kids, for little kids in some parts, because the Bergens, they want to eat the trolls because they're convinced the only way they can be happy is by eating trolls. Oh, boy. And so, yeah. But no, I'll, every I'll time give it away. I've There's had no a troll. trolls consume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, trolls don't make you happy. You'll just, you'll just yeah. you know, be gassy for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, you eat one, you just want more, and it doesn't <laughs> turn out. It's like well. potato yeah. chips. They're so salty. Yeah. Um, talk about uh, the other movies. What other movies do you want to review? Okay, Doctor Strange. This is the big Marvel release, which, of course, is through Disney that's happening this weekend. I know nothing about Doctor Strange. I know so little about comics, it's ridiculous. But um, this is an origin story. And for people like me who are comic book idiots, <laughs> origin stories are usually the best movies to start with because they're pretty much self-contained. And you get told the story of this character, how... He became so bent and twisted or whatever happens, because that's usually what happens to mm -hmm. them. Doctor Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, doing Sherlock Holmes. 
and I don't know if you, I'm, I don't know if you've seen a Sherlock oh, Holmes yeah. series, but yeah. yeah, okay. Well, if you can imagine him that confident and arrogant about ten times over, that's what we have in this film. He plays a surgeon who feels like he is just the most incredible surgeon in the world. And uh, and he drives with just as much confidence. And so, of course, he drives off the edge of a cliff during a dark and stormy night when he uh, his Lamborghini's going way, way too fast, winds up almost destroying his body. And uh, they glue him back together. And he's very, very mad because he can't be a surgeon anymore. His hands are all ratched up. So he goes seeking a better, a better cure. He winds up in Tibet with this Tibetan spiritualist. And uh, and she starts teaching him all of these all of these different ways that he needs to reconsider where he is in life and everything else. And she has this method where she can teach him how to teach his body how to heal itself. And so this is where it gets into. So there's a lot of kind of that Middle Eastern philosophy in here. However, for for some people, that may be a bother for me, I thought there was a lot of Christ-like allegory in this story because, and I'm going to give away a little bit here, within the scope of this movie, he learns to sacrifice himself in a, in a way to serve others. So rather than always thinking about himself, he starts learning to think about the rest of the world and what he can do for mankind. Now, that sounds all nice, warm, and fuzzy, but of course... This is a Marvel movie, or the last half of the film really is a big battle that happens with all these supernatural forces, and even with all that, people still wind up punching and kicking and stabbing each other a few <laughs> times too. So, so you still got the Marvel, the Marvel action and whatnot. But there were some some threads to the story that did have some some little moments of insight and truth that I really appreciated. Hmm. So, big warning on the violence on this one. Not much other content though. But expect violence. That's Overall, great. a B grade on that one. A B grade and, and family-friendly minus the violence. Yes. Family-friendly minus the violence. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. Yep. Awesome. So are you, do you have time to do Hacksaw Ridge? I have got time if you do. This uh, one's a real important it. release. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just got to see it last night, so we don't have our review up yet. Just still working on that. What a film. So two things about Hacksaw Ridge. First of all, the story. This is the great part. This is a story about a, a World War II American Army medic. His name was Desmond Doss. And he is a Seventh-day Adventist. And he served during the Battle of Okinawa. And he was a conscientious objector. He wouldn't even touch a gun. Mm. And the first half of this movie is what this guy went through, the bullying he went through. I mean, he came from a a home where his father was very abusive and had alcohol issues. And and then when he came into the military, he was convinced that he wanted to serve his country and figured he could do it by being a medic and he would refuse to carry a gun. Well, the guys in the barracks and basic training are just giving this guy such a rough time. He eventually gets out there in the middle of this battle. And then, and true story, he wound up saving the lives of 75 men during this insane battle. He worked at carrying bodies off the battlefield all night long over a period of a couple of days. Just an amazing story. Now, here's the flip side of this. Mel Gibson made this movie. And um, and we're not going to talk about Mel at all because I know people have got very different opinions about Mel Gibson. But it is an incredibly made movie. But Mel never, he is not one to ever hold back on the violence. 
Even a blood donation in this movie looks violent. Huh. And uh, and the war scenes in this are very explicit. And, you know, Matt, I've got such mixed feelings about that because this is such a positive story that you wish this could be shown in 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 high schools. Um, but it, the violence will be a concern for many parents. So parents, just keep that in the back of your mind. Mm. I, I wish somehow on a home video release they could have two versions, a PG-13 and an R-rated version, but this movie is rated R. And I don't usually cover R-rated movies on your show, but the story in this is so, so powerful. Yeah. So, so powerful. there you have Hacksaw Ridge. Have you, have you put a grade on that? You know, Matt, I was going to ask you for advice. What would you give I it? Like, no I, I think I'm sitting at a B plus. Yeah. If it wasn't for the, the violence. violence, it would be a, a, an A for sure. But, you know, we want to make sure the parents are aware. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, you know what? And, and again, I, I can hardly wait to see your review because there are, there are, what do you call them? There are systems out there, companies you can go to that mm -hmm. can give you a more edited maybe version. I don't know how that works. But um, yes, I mean, if you were going to see it on an airplane, it might be edited. How great if you could have that conversation. So I'm excited to see your your notes and further conversations about Hacksaw Ridge. And, you know, and I also understand why Gibson did this, because it, if you can't understand what this guy was going through, then you really can't – I guess what I'm trying to say is it even makes the miracle so more amazing mm. because it really is a miracle. And even the guys and, you know, the other members of his, of his unit and whatnot, they, they can't believe this guy didn't get killed. He's out there without a gun with the Japanese firing all over the place. And he's dragging these almost dead people yeah. off this ridge. It was incredible. What a movie. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, Rod, appreciate your great work there at Parent Previews. Keep it up and have a great weekend. Thank you, Matt. Rod Gustafson's his name. Go again, look at the website, parentpreviews.com. Really, so many movies. You can go back past all the all the other movies that have already um, been reviewed and uh, maybe dig one out. Dig a little deeper, too, if, if you uh, uh, aren't interested in the ones we've talked about today. We shall take a break. When we come back, visit our good... Uh, oh, no, when we come back, we got to do a little uh, data dump, a little uh, news flush, we'll call it. But first, uh, let's take the break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we have a few minutes, so we wanted to do what we call a news flush, which is where we can hammer through a bunch of stories that we haven't had time during the week to, to share with you, but we don't want them to be wasted. So we'd like to talk them out and then flush them. So, Terry, where would you like to begin? Well, let's start with some serious news that just broke, apparently. What? Two of Governor Chris Christie's aides, former aides, were found guilty on all counts related to the plot to use traffic jams for political retaliation. Interesting. Is this the New Jersey? It's that bridge. This is the New Jersey bridge thing. But so now, is this because who who found them guilty? Whatever the court, state, the state a, of New York yeah. or the state of New Jersey or whatever. Um, is this the New Jersey courts trying to influence the the election? No, they're trying to uh, figure out who uh, messed up their roads on purpose. Yeah. 
And the governor's office kept saying no. The timing of this seems so strange because governor, yeah. Though he hasn't, he's been kind of set aside, shelved, if you will. Yeah, he's a rather sturdy shelf, but Uh a shelf nonetheless. Uh, Moving on to more flushable news. A survey of 2,000 Brits found that gene snobbery among the younger age group with 18 to 24 year olds believing women are past their gene wearing age at 37 and men by 40. Hold on, what? They asked kids, well, kids, I call them kids, kids. because they're 18 to 24. Yeah. That's still a kid, right? Yeah. If we want to be age snobs. 18 to 24 believe that women are past their gene-wearing age. So are you wearing, you know, Levi's, denim, jeans, whatever. Women at 37 and men by the age of 40. So in terms of genes, men age better than women. Jeans, J-E-A-N-S. The director that ran, the person that ran the study says, it's surprising to see our research reveals that many people think that jeans are reserved for the younger generation, suggesting that we should put all denim back on the shelf at age 53. What, and start wearing polyester? Yeah, wear your your slacks. Wear your high-waisted... The research also found, the, uh, despite the age divide, denim fans spend five days searching for the perfect pair of jeans and blow about two to three or two billion dollars on the quest. I don't know. You sound a little bitter about I'm this mad. News. I'm wearing jeans every day. That's kind of why I brought it up. I, I, I don't know what I would move to, like a leisure suit. Just get a muumuu. Track pants. Track pants. <laughs> Great. That is ridiculous. Flush These kids. Flush them. Hey, uh, scientists... Let the sound go. Scientists have found evidence to support that many dog owners have already known man's best friend really does understand some of what we are saying. Researchers in Hungary scanned the brains of dogs as they were listening to their trainers speaking to determine which parts of the brain they were using. They found that dogs processed words with the left hemisphere and used the right hemisphere to process pitch, Hmm. just like people do. What's more, the dogs only registered that they were uh, not. The dogs only registered that they were being praised if the words and pitch were positive. Meaningless words spoken in an encouraging voice or meaningful words in a neutral tone didn't have the same effect. Hmm. So they actually get the content, the words, and the emotion, the tone, the pitch. Huh. So you just can't say nonsense in the yeah. same tone. And wow, interesting. Dogs aren't dumb. Anyway. I don't know. I've seen some dogs. (laughs) Flush it. An appeals court has ruled that Maryland officials did not violate a driver's right to free speech by recalling a vanity license plate that displayed an offensive Spanish word. Maryland Court of Appeals unanimously unanimously decided last week that the words conveyed on a state-issued license plate constitute private speech on government property. Remember, there was a Supreme yeah. Court case with Texas license plates. Yeah. So the Maryland Court of Appeals says that that plate is a private speech on government property that is subject to reasonable regulation. The driver, mm. a Washington lawyer, argued that uh, the Maryland Motor Vehicle Administration has no power to restrict expression and that it's not obscene. The license plate bore a Spanish word that was pretty bad for more than two years before fellow motorists finally went, hey, wait a second. You can't Wait, put that. Hold it. Interesting. Okay. So you can't put swear words right. in Spanish on your car. That's good to know. I just came back from Costa Rica. I had some new ideas. Flush it. Okay, so if you're wondering who will win the election, obviously nobody knows for certain, but um, Professor Alan Lichtman has correctly correctly predicted every presidential election since 1984. And when they sat down with him about a month and a half ago, he 
predicted Donald Trump will win the election. Yeah. What? Say what? And he has been predicting it based on a really strange criteria. Here's some of the parts that make up the decision. Party mandate. After the midterm elections, the incumbent party holds more seats in the U.S. House of Representatives than after the previous midterm elections. The contest itself, the incumbency, third party, short-term economy, long-term economy, policy changes, social unrest, scandal, foreign military failure, incumbent charisma, challenger charisma and he puts them all together and he blends them up and he found out will it blend yes he, will it blend and he says it's it's really chunky this year <laughs> it's not blending very smooth but he is saying that he, that uh, according to his data uh, it will be Donald Trump another guy did it by um what who had the most primary votes oh inter- which and, was Donald which was Donald and he's been right he said for like the last 10 elections but he missed the Bush Gore. Ah, interesting. So, flush it. Oh, one, flush it. One more? Yeah, one more. Researchers at MIT have de- designed bionic spinach that can communicate through carbon nanosensors. A paper published Monday. The scientists exploit the plant's natural cap- capacity to detect uh, nitro aromatics, that is, chemical compounds commonly used in explosives. Wow. To create a fluorescent signal to alert users as to the potential absence or potential presence of bombs. Hmm. So you put this spinach in and it'll let you know if there's explosives present. Wow. If we tap into those chemical signal pathways, there is a wealth of information to access. Flush it, but flush it carefully. Bombs, Might blow on you. Bomb sniffing spinach. Interesting stuff. There's the news flush. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We're wrapping up your weekend. Then we'll hand it over to these guys. Then it's all sports. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's uh, shoot it down to our good buddies at uh, Sports Nation, BYU Sports Nation. Spencer, uh, no, it's Jerem Jordan today and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Here we are. Good morning. Spencer's on his way to Cincinnati for the uh, Is he? for the game tomorrow. Countdown to kickoff. Uh, He's live at 2.30 Eastern. It's going to have some skyline chili, apparently. Mm. Is that what's going down? I, yeah, it's probably some like, world-famous chili in, in Cincinnati. Really? Apparently. Skyline? Yeah, skyline chili. Why so skyline? Taste of the city. You know. <laughs> it's a very earthy. This chili taste. is so strong, you'll taste the skyline. Uh, the Ohio. <laughs> That's great. Hey guys, did you know it's a National Candy Day? Oh, I thought that every, was Monday. Every day is uh, National Candy Day in my house. Do you guys still have candy at your house? Oh yeah, man. My wife uh, divided not only the spoils uh, but the extras. Yes. And it's like, what do we do with all? Did you candy did you now? get? Did were you part of the division? Did you get some? Uh, my, I, yeah, I get all of it. My wife tries to keep it away right. from it's me. All of mine and her. My my wife like puts like five pieces out a day for the six of us to share. Oh, so is it like it's like an elimination thing? Yeah. Right? yeah. It's like, like what happens night, to the like, person that doesn't get the candy? Are you out of the family? It's like musical chairs, but it's a lot more violent. <laughs> It's like the like the Dark Knight. They break a pool cue and yeah. Uh, yeah. out of the room. Exactly. Yeah. It ain't pretty. What's your favorite candy? If I gave you, if you could have a, a you know a one year supply of one candy, nerds. one t- nerds. Love nerds. Hot tamales. 
Really? Oh, I love which, hot which, tamales. Which, since I had with the braces, yeah. I, I, I have not been able to eat hot tamales. So that's, you can't that's, chew them. Yeah, I can't chew them. So as soon as the braces are gone, hopefully in a couple months. You, you have braces? Braces, yes. I didn't know you had braces. No, I did. Just kidding. Brace yourself. <laughs> hot tamales. Uh, yeah. We ought to get you some for when oh, you're done. Those. Wouldn't Honestly, you? Honestly, just... I've never partaken of any illegal drugs. Yeah. Uh, but I consider that to be like, you know, like you just get addicted. Like one turns into like four boxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah, that's how I feel. It's like that. In fact, and, and don't you put them up your nose? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, because um... I saw some red stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but I just did. <laughs> I didn't want to, but I did. Hey, um, we're on the air, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, are we on oh, the air? Okay. Is, just checking. Is this working? Is this on? Uh, hello. Uh, talk to me about what? What did you think about? Did you watch the game with Durant and or with the Warriors? I, I did not. I did, as a matter of fact. Okay. Okay. In fact, that's perfect, Jason. What do you think? Are they? Are they? Are these teams as good as they were? Pre- uh, well, the Warriors are. I mean, the Warriors are going to be better. I understand that they, you know, they started the season off with a loss that nobody nobody thought. They haven't played great. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the Warriors are going to be there at the end. I mean, most people think it's day one. Most people think they already know what the NBA Finals is going to be. <laughs> Oklahoma City started out 4-0. I, I, I'm not buying that. You're not going to get a triple-double from Russell Westbrook every game. Right. You mean so, Russell Westbrook? Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm buying into the Warriors – uh, I'm not really buying in to this level the uh, the thunder. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I because I was a little scared. Yeah, you're no, scared I, by a dog. Yeah, it was just something. Something wasn't right there. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, okay, the got got that out of the way. Do you think everyone is over hyping the Cub win? I mean, now everybody's a Cub yes. fan. Yes, yes, they are. Everybody is over hyping it. The, the collect- you're talking to a Cardinals. Fan. The collective <laughs> uh, <laughs> love fan. fest. From everybody in the world towards the Cubs makes me ill. It should. <laughs> oh, <For> just <laughs> just take a hot tamale and relax. You are the hot tamale <laughs> post Cubs win. <laughs> take three hot tamales and call today's me. There are, yes, today the parade, right? Yeah. yeah. Today's the. They, I, as a matter of fact, I think I saw the. Uh, they're dying the uh, the river that runs through blue. Oh boy, I've been there I when they died at green. I thought you were going to go River Runs Through It, that movie. <laughs> that is a great movie, too. That, that poor river. river. That I mean, if there was a hope of anything ever living in that river, it's killed about every couple of years. Well, no, they, they every year for St. Patrick's green. Day, they, they go green. green. Yeah, right. so it's getting well, dyed it's, at least once a year. It's green-ish already. <laughs> I, I remember well, that may be being, because yeah. of... Yeah, you That's can take a water else. taxi on that thing and uh, see the green for yourself for six. Yeah. Maybe we should color the uh, the Great Salt Lake here, or even Utah Lake. No, locally. that's a great song by uh, Band of Horses as well. I'm just busting out all the stuff today. You yeah, are, man. you great totally are. Great song. Hey, uh, what do you think about uh, the game tomorrow? Uh, BYU Cincinnati. It's a it's a fun one. Eight. BYU seven and a half point favorite, seventy eight percent chance of winning according to ESPN's FPI. We'll talk to Tony Pike. Uh, he was the quarterback on their undefeated uh, regular season in 09. Mm. Got them to the uh, Sugar Bowl. He'll weigh in on the Bearcats. Uh, BYU a heavy favorite, seven and a half points on the road, Eastern Time Zone. Yeah, I think I think BYU will win this game. Uh, it, it's funny because that conversation is not even the most important thing happening on the show today. What? What Ooh. is? There's, there's, uh, Set us up. There's lots of info going on today. Um, but 
BYU athletic, athletic director Tom Homo has a message for Cougar Nation, a state of the program message. That really? Will be, that will be on BYU Sports Nation. This today. is like breaking news. Let's get, well, it, uh, it's a state of the program message, so come hang out and see what he has to say. Oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to bring me some hot tamales. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't, you, why don't you come share those, man? Yeah. No and, way. Uh, you can't. I can't eat them for a couple more months. <laughs> you just but, suck uh, on it. <laughs> bracketology, the latest uh, from Joe Lenardi. The season hasn't even started, but BYU has risen in his bracketology. We'll tell you where they fit. Are they in or out? That's sweet. That's sweet. So it's it's a loaded day. It's a big day. And you have the great blessing of having Jason Shepard oh, co-piloting. Jason, Jason's Amen. wearing a sweet vest today, too. <laughs> Is he? Apparently he's going swimming later. <laughs> Just in case there's a flood in here, I am safe. Does it, oh, so it looks, does it look like a like a life preserver? Uh, a little. Well, it's a, if it was full orange, Marty yeah. McFly. It's yes, a, it's it's actually a basketball dry fit, um, like zip vest, but it's got a hoodie too. Yeah, oh. it's awesome. And, and Jason and I are hanging out all day, so we're doing BYU Sports Nation. We're doing the Facebook Live coming up at two Eastern, and then tonight uh, there's a women's basketball exhibition on BYU TV and BYU Radio. We are we are on that as well. At 9 Eastern, so we're just going to party. And I'm going to try and talk him into going to an afternoon movie to see Doctor Strange. <gasps> I'm yes. going to try and okay. vote early today. Okay, then that, that leads me to my well, final vote question. for Doctor Strange. Are, are you <laughs> both, going to Doctor Strange. Are you both fans of Doctor Strange? I don't know. I don't know anything about him. Really okay. anything. It just is a Marvel movie. Yep. It's had good reviews. Have, yep. have you heard anything about the Cloak of Levitation? Yes. How I about, have. okay. These are questions from producer Terry. Uh, how about do you know anything, and can you explain the eye of Agamotto? <laughs> no. Okay, this is the nerd quiz, and you're both pretty much failing it. Which is a good thing. Yeah, and we do you know wanna... who D- Dormanu is? No. Okay. Sounds like you don't either. Then you are what we call non-nerds. <laughs> but we know Yay! who Benedict Cumberbatch is. Yes, and he is Benedict awesome. Benedict Cumberbatch, and that guy rocks it. Andy Oxford Sherlock Holmes. University. Good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, go have a great show, and I hope uh, I hope you, Jason, have a great time in the pool with your vest. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to have some hot tamales when I get out of the pool. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> See you, kids. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. You got to love it. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, Terry, just so you know, they had no idea who... What, uh, who I of Agamotto or Dormammu was, just so you know. Not nerds. It's Dormammu? You, Dorm. s- you said new, it's different? Yeah, yeah. New is a different guy. Yeah, why don't you tell me more about it? <laughs> they had their chance to correct you, though, yeah. and they, they that, blew it. That was actually part of the test, is would they correct me by saying Dormammu? Oh, that's what, okay. Yeah, and they didn't. No, they didn't. Which, again, just shows. But that's why they actually held off production on this. It was supposed to be like a July movie. Mm. But they held it till November because Cumberbatch was in some play somewhere in London. Yeah, I know. So, but they were convinced that he was the guy. They they tried like Jared Leto or Leto, excuse me, to see if he wanted to be the the lead, and they said no. Cumberbatch was the guy, and that's what that right there. Those two were going because of Cumberbatch, yeah. right? So that's why it'll be a successful movie. Okay. What you done? No. It's a wonderful, wonderful day for me. Put on the cloak of levitation and levitate. I've had a tough few weeks here. It's a trap. <laughs> it's, t- it's fun having that conversation with my wife. I've had a tough few weeks here. Yeah, your wife that just gave birth to a baby. <laughs>
and has to deal not only with you I talking about this. I need to see this movie. It's a reward for all of my hard work. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. Well, go go see the movie by yourself. That'll be great. Hey, uh, crazy uh, time here. Police uh, say that a man dressed as a tree has been arrested for blocking traffic. Can you believe that? In Maine, for heaven's sakes. They say a man didn't respond to officers when they warned him against obstructing traffic in a busy intersection in downtown Portland, Maine. Local TV posted video of the man being arrested after he blocked traffic again. A friend of a man says he was trying to study the city's traffic patterns. The man appeared to be dressed as a pine tree or some other type of evergreen tree. Hmm. So... Do you know what you do with a guy that's dressed as a tree? What's that? Get the shredder. You know, to me, that guy just sounds like a big sap. Moving on to other topics. Um, Man says, uh, uh, no. (laughs) There's nothing else. Okay. He does sound like a sap. Yep. You know, I I heard that dogs really like to bark at him when he's in that tree costume. It's not barking they like to do. And we'll leave it at that. As you know, we like to wrap up the show with a hero story. And man, oh man, have we got a hero for you today. The hero is a post office worker who fought off a would-be robber. Uh, that was trying to uh, to rob the the uh, I think it was the post office with a knife. Now, at first, Paula Hooper thought this was a Halloween joke. She took the man who was wearing a devil mask and carrying a foot-long kitchen knife. She didn't take him seriously when he entered the post office in Cardiff on Tuesday. The 51-year-old said, I didn't actually see him walk in because I was doing something. I just turned around and he was there in a mask with a knife. I thought it was a joke. You know, one of those Halloween things that happened on Monday. He just said casually, give me all the money in the till. Paula from Pontypridd tried to hit the knife out of the man's hand with a rolling pin, reports Wells09. She said, whether I said something, I honestly can't remember. But, you know, then he got aggressive and started waving the knife. He said, give me all the blank money in the till and put it in the bag. So I just reacted, she said. I pressed the alarm, grabbed the bat, which I call a rolling pin. And I said, I didn't feel scared. I just started pounding. Uh, Paula, who was working at the post office, you know, she she got the best of him. I, w- I was just trying to hit it out of his hand. To be honest, I was just hitting anywhere I can. I, when it hit the knife or it hit his head, because at the end of the day, when someone has a knife, you're thinking about yourself. He kept coming at me. I just had enough. I just had enough of it. So I shouted for a colleague to come and help. I didn't feel it. Uh, he finally, uh, he did cut her hand with the knife. She said she 